0: This is the main brain, Vince Fontaine, beginning your day with the only way. Music, music, music. Get out of bed, it's first day of school. Don't be a slob, don't get a job, go back to class. You can pass. And to start the day off nice and fine, we're going to play a new old favorite of mine.
1: Hey, it is our second birthday, second anniversary. Misa and I haven't really decided what to call it, but hey, two years. Two
0: years, yes soundtrack city is two years old today yes it's been a fun fun ride yeah it's been interesting especially trying to record this particular episode
1: oh god yeah let's not
0: (laughs) i don't want to bring the energy down of course because now we are over the roadblocks that we hit but long story short We could not, for the life of us, get this fucking recording started.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't our fault. Um,
0: It took two days. There was a
1: lot going on with, I guess, the uh, server we use. It just, it was a lot. It was very, very discouraging. But you know what? We got lots of signs from the universe, a.k.a. those amazing Simpson pens that Misa put up.
0: Dude, you, oh my god, you guys. I will repost it on our feed. I did post it on our story, but like... The first night that we tried to record this fucking episode and it wasn't working, I like shut down my computer, turned off the Wi-Fi, all that stuff, trying all the things, turning it off, turning it back on kind of crap. And as I was waiting to like give the computer a minute to chill out or whatever the fuck, I was just like scrolling on Instagram and I saw this amazing enamel pin, which I'm a huge collector of, by the way. And it was legit. Like women from The Simpsons and guys from The Simpsons and like they were the T birds and the women were the pink t- ladies and it was so fucking cute. I need it. I need it. It
1: was you absolutely need it. Yes. Like the print of it, the pin of it. I feel like it needs to be on a shirt, like everything.
0: Yeah. Oh, and so yeah, so we couldn't fucking get this recording started. And it took us two days to figure it out. And now we can hear each other and that's great. Yeah. <laughs> It's over. We're getting we're we're doing this. It's happening. We are discussing mm-hmm. Greece from nineteen seventy-eight. Oh gosh, what a fun time. I know that we both were introduced to Greece at a young age. I actually went back and listened to a snippet of our QA and you we talked about Greece because that's when we were we were going to do it next at the time. But you mentioned like you were like nine and it that's when you developed like your love for musicals is like when you saw Greece.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think um Greece for me was just the epitome of everything that you dream of like that high school is going to be when you're that age i have always had this obsessive need for like a just bursting into musical like for me there needs to be no reason no rhyme just let's sing let's just sing you know about anything and um this movie completely paved the way for my love for musicals um and I do think as I'm thinking back I think I was actually even younger than nine when I remember seeing it but it was when I was nine like fourth fifth grade when it truly fostered that love for musicals and I do feel like uh that's kind of a a a black or white area like either you love musicals or you don't right well, I will say I've never met an in-between person. Like I've never met an in-between person. Either you like musicals or you don't. It's what and it comes down to like, I don't need the singing. I don't need a song here. I I need like, you know, dialogue. And me, I'm like, but the singing progresses the dialogue and it's patchy and it 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 just changes the mood for me. And yeah, this is one of the very, very first musicals that I remember seeing and I completely fell in love with this movie and was like I want to be a pink lady.
0: Oh my god, didn't we all? Yeah.
1: Rule the school. Come on. Love it.
0: Oh my god, they were so pretty with their sweet ass jackets and oh my god,
1: yes. The whole costuming. Fantastic. Um and that also started my love for that kind of 50s style. Um it's a lot of work to do that, so I will be very honest, I don't invest in dressing like a 50s girl or a pinup girl as much as I would love to um but that is also where that love came from because I love everything about the makeup the dresses the shoes the
0: belts. I love it all yeah definitely the style that 50s mm-hmm. style is just so mm. I love that that's not, not that it's necessarily coming back but that it's still relevant it's still around it's still fashionable oh, yeah you know yeah, 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 they're the epitome of pretty, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I like love standard. Kind of girls. I love, but if, it, if the dresses weren't so expensive, I would have more. Same, <laughs>
1: same. I only have a couple because they're just, they, they are pricey, and even getting, like, custom ones, even pricier in some cases.
0: And then if you want to get straight vintage, whew.
1: Yeah, yes, because there are some shorts that they wear and capris that they wear in this movie that I have, like, been dying to have a pair of since that young age. And it has just never come to be because I cannot bring myself to pay that much for one item
0: of clothing. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I get it. You'll find them in a thrift store someday.
1: I'm hoping I, I look all the time anxiously awaiting when I get my hands on some of those adorable capri pants and shorts. They're just they're so cute and flattering. So when were you a pink lady for Halloween? Actually, I was a pink lady when I was um, four or five, and I'll have to dig up the picture. Um, But my grandmother made all of our costumes up until, I want to say I was in like fifth grade. And uh, my aunt, who she and I are a year apart, um, she wanted to be... Like, the very typical, like, Sandy, like, kind of like the poodle skirt with, like, the cute little loafers and everything. Um, and my dad was like, well, if she's going to be that, then uh, we'll make Jessica a pink lady. And I didn't know what it was at that age. But, yeah, that was uh, when I was, like, four or five.
0: Oh, that is so cute. So so you hadn't even seen the movie yet? And no. you were just like. That is awesome, though. I love that your dad had that influence. <laughs> yes,
1: I was thrown into it, a, a, like I said, an early age. And uh, this is definitely another, you know, Papa Franco movie. Um, my mom loves this movie also because of John Travolta. Um, and it is a movie that they both allowed me to love. It wasn't always the case with some of my movie choices, but this was definitely one that they were like, oh, yeah, Greece, you
0: can like Greece." So they pushed Greece. Totally. I mean, for the most part, you know, if you consider the things that go over a kid's head, yeah, it's totally appropriate.
1: I think so. I mean, I even remember vividly, um, and this is kind of what I was alluding to yesterday. um, When I was in fifth grade, we earned like movie day, you know, and um, that was a big deal back when (laughs) I was in fifth grade. We got to watch Grease. And I look back and I'm like, how did they get that approved in fifth grade without us having to like have anything signed, like no parent permission, nothing?
0: So, like, did they skip the part with Rizzo and Kiniki in the car or no? <laughs> and oh, that is so ir- Like, I wonder what it was like to be a teacher in that room during that scene. I mean, all three of them
1: because we, um, when I was in fifth grade we did like a a three-way split so I had a math teacher I had a science and social studies teacher and then I had a um reading like language arts teacher and so we switched between three teachers and yeah all three of them were you know singing along with it and I actually brought it up because I knew we were recording so this year or this past year at my elementary school, my old fifth grade teacher actually worked with me. She taught fourth grade. And um, when we were starting to talk about recording Greece and everything, I reached out to her and she was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how we got away with that.
0: That is fantastic. There's no
1: way. There's no way. Uh, I mean, they had the subtitles and on and all, all, Misa. Like I very because we were singing together, like everyone was singing, and the subtitles were on. So I mean, and it wasn't like the edited TV version where they take out, you know, pussy wagon and tit, you know. So here we are.
0: I'm thinking, on the one hand, it's like, wow, they they really showed that at a school. On the other hand, I'm thinking, well, fifth grade. That's uh, that's around the age that, like, the older brother or sister is showing these kids the movie, you know? Like, yeah. that's around the time, I think I was, like, nine when I first saw it. And, I mean, if they weren't watching it at school, they were watching it at home. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely right. So, um, and <laughs> this is what I was telling you last night this movie so I was infatuated with this boy named Daniel who went by Danny
0: <gasps> you're Zuko yes
1: and he <laughs> was very much like Danny like he would be really nice to me and then he would be rude to me Like he gave me his mother's bracelet and that was a whole issue because um, you know here we are fifth grade the bracelet
0: was gold and diamonds <laughs> And his mom, like, found out.
1: Oh, well, to make matters worse, my mom worked at the school, and so did his mom. So,
0: oh, <laughs> obviously, okay. they talked.
1: And uh, yeah, my mom was like, Yeah, you need to uh, give that back. That was so sweet, but no. Damn. Yeah, during summer um, of course, here I am, like, singing my heart out, and all I can think about is my Danny. <laughs>
0: Oh, that is adorable. So whatever happened to your Zuko?
1: Absolutely no idea because um, that was at one campus and uh, it wasn't A-Leaf, but you know how we do our high schools very differently, like where we draw. It's the same thing for like the middle schools as where you're zoned to. I only went to that school because my mom taught there. And my mom got a different job. And so I went to the school that was zoned to my area. And that's when I moved over to um, Miller. So no idea. No idea. Never. Daniel Martinez was his name. I'll never forget.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, Daniel, if you're listening.
1: <laughs> you were the first boy to give me gold and diamonds. So sweet.
0: Frankie Frankie still remembers you fondly. Mm-hmm, very much so. Yes. That is so freaking cute. And so you did mention that you had some kind of connection to Hopelessly Devoted to you. Was it because of him too?
1: Yeah, I think so. Because it was, you know, just the lyrics and here I am, you know, everything's so hyper emotional, you know, fifth grade. You know, my heart's broken. He <laughs> didn't talk to me for however long, whatever, you know, we didn't talk on the phone. I don't even remember what it was. Uh, but yeah, probably so. And then, I do think that this song always stuck with me, and until recently, it actually probably was one of my, like, uh, go-to ballad karaoke songs, if you will. But I, I don't know if I feel the same way now as I did then. I, I think it's a great song. I think it's absolutely super relatable, especially in like middle school and high school, you know, when you have like the weird kind of, oh, we're dating, but like, are we like really dating in dating terms, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I felt like the song very much, you know, was able to hone in on that feeling. Um, and I just, I've always loved the music for this. And I love how it's so serene and just sandy and like, just so pretty with her, with the water and everything. It's just, it's a great song. It's, I think it was a great addition to the movie. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can appreciate it now. It, I think as a kid, it was kind of one of those songs I kind of wrote off. Yeah. Um, but then there's always those songs that are kind of in the background of your life for years and years and years, and then one day you get to a point or an age. Or a state of mind where you hear that song from the background and suddenly it's like really significant. Yeah. And you're like, oh, now I get it. Now I feel this. And it's like, okay, I can appreciate it now, but fuck, I had to get to this point to appreciate it.
1: (laughs) Right, right. I definitely, I think it's the lyrics for me. The lyrics are really powerful they're really sad that that's why like they are powerfully sad like they're like he really felt something when he wrote this for olivia and i think olivia did a great job of um showing that in this scene so but yeah definitely another one of the songs that i just always always loved for different reasons at different times
0: um so (laughs) My backstory with Grease isn't nearly as extensive, um, but I think m- most of us know by now how I feel about it. It's, it's not my top favorite. It, it was one of the first musicals I ever watched, uh, as far as the film version goes. Mm-hmm. I was introduced uh, to it by my older sister. I think that overall, Grease is a great movie, fantastic soundtrack, stupid, stupid, stupid love story. <laughs> it's like every time I watched Grease, and I, I'm i not going to lie, I didn't watch Grease nearly as much as I would normally watch a movie because I was just like, man, it. Danny just pisses me off so much. He's such an Asshole, and I've started to notice, like in my research, like people are starting to notice, like Danny Zuko was a really toxic boyfriend, and da da, 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 da. Like, yeah, well, oh yeah, Grease is a product of the time, and I'm not trying to say that guys used to be assholes then and they're not now, or that it was okay then, and da 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 da. Um, it's never okay, by the way.
1: <laughs> right. Let's just clarify that.
0: <laughs> I first saw Grease uh, when I was a kid. I I want to say that I saw it right around the time that the 20th anniversary came around. So that would have been 1998. Um, And the reason I think that is, is because the very first copy, only copy of Grease that I know we ever owned, was the one with the remix CD on the back with the little mini Uh script. It, It was the fourth draft of the script. And you could tell because Sandy was still American in it. Uh, and yes. that always annoyed me because I wanted to have an accurate script and that one was clearly not the shooting one
1: no yeah I haven't been able to find um, I I did find the original script that was uploaded um, I had to pay for it but I, I was able to find as closely as possible to one of the first scripts because I do know that um, Jim Johnson and I'm sorry Jim Jacobs my bad and Warren Casey, they didn't actually, you know, take a picture of the very, very, very first script. So that one is very hard to find, but I found as close as possible. Um, and there were some changes from the fourth edition, because I had the same copy that you did um, later on. Like, it wasn't accurate. There was lines that were changed, and you can tell also if you followed along like I did, you
0: know. Yeah, it, it is especially obvious, like, of the dance-off, because... Sandy has Frenchie's line about Cha-Cha, and it's like Sandy wouldn't know that because Sandy's foreign. Exactly. Like, she wouldn't know that Cha-Cha has the worst reputation. Like, that ugh, it just bothered me. Like, little things like that stuck out. But, like, for the most part, some of the lines were there. They were just muddled. Yeah, For the sake of accuracy, I would have liked to have the official script of the movie as we saw it.
1: You know, that is one thing. Did they keep her Australian because that's what Olivia was? Like, she couldn't do the accent?
0: From what I understand, they did look at a few other people for Sandy. uh, Yeah. But Alan Carr went to dinner at someone's house and Olivia Newton-John sat across from him.
1: That's what I thought happened, yeah. And then they And
0: that's when okay. he was like, Oh, you're perfect and she was like, Oh, I did a really bad movie once called Tomorrow and I twice, three times. Yeah, <laughs> and she was, was like shouting. Hey, Xanadu came after Greece. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, like that's when she was like that's when she wanted the screen test and like John Travolta was also a really big fan of hers and he was pulling for her to be casted too. Right. So when she passed the screen test, they that's when they were like, okay, we're going to change her to being Australian. So it was because of her. not I don't think they even tried to make her American. I think they were like, okay, if she's going to be Sandy, we're going to change Sandy.
1: That's what I thought. I didn't know if there was anything like more back to it because I know you did extensive back research. So I was excited to see if you maybe found a different take on that.
0: Dude, we'll see what happens. I pulled everything together in four days. You know what?
1: Probably about the same. Yeah, it was about the same.
0: (laughs) I mean, but I do know that, so you and I had the same VHS, so you and I both had the same, like, 20-minute behind-the-scenes feature in front of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually rewatched that, because it's on YouTube, of course. And. I know that we both learned a lot about the movie from that too. So
1: <laughs> yes, and then I know we both watched, didn't we? Or at least I thought we did. Didn't we both watch the uh, behind the music Grease? I feel like we talked about that.
0: I didn't watch behind the music. If I did okay. watch behind the music Grease, I don't remember it. Okay, just kidding. Okay, that was just me. Then. But I will say that even though, and I don't think I've ever told you this, Frankie, but even though I have not seen Grease on stage. Mm-hmm. I did see Greece on ice. Oh, that sounds fun. When I was oh a kid. God. Yeah, they came to the com- I don't remember if it was the Summit or the Compact Center at the time. It might have been It might have been the Summit still. Wow. Um, but I went to Greece on ice with my sister and who played Sandy? Nancy Kerrigan.
1: <gasps>
0: Bitch. What? Wow. Fuck yeah. And, 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 and it wasn't even the movie script. It was the stage script. Like Sandy was in bed in pajamas singing. It's raining on, Pro- oh, like. Oh, yay. I- it was the play version. It was, and on ice. Really it was cool. so cool. That is really cool. It was cool. Yeah, and I bought the program. The program was shaped like a jukebox. That's so cute. It was cool. I will (laughs) never forget that experience. I had the poster on my closet door for years.
1: That is really, really cool. I am quite jealous. The only one I've seen on stage, like I said, was um, at, I always get the name of these, Hobby Tuts, whatever they call it. Um. That downtown, and um I recently learned that that stage version, because I do believe it was the Tommy Toon version, is actually the one that Jacob dislikes the absolute most. So I feel like I was gypped. Aww. I have seen the high school version because I did see it at um, uh, Morton Ranch, Morton Ranch High School. Um uh, I went to go see it there, um, and that one is very different because it's like the junior Grease Junior or whatever. Um, and I did watch the um Grease Live that Fox put out.
0: You know, one thing that I've realized in researching Grease, because okay, I will say that, um uh, a couple months ago, when I introduced my friend to Greece too, uh, I ended up writing a blog about why I prefer it. And because of this blog, and it was very extensive, I did have to do some research on Greece to make sure I got my facts right. Mm-hmm. One thing that I realized because I was trying to compare the difference between like how the movies open, the the both openings are very different, and so I wanted to. Pull up the script for the stage play of Greece to see how it translated to film. Mm-hmm. Every copy I found was different, and I was like, "Greece is like a Frankenstein play because even after the movie, they're adding songs from the movie, they're putting them in different order. Like people are just doing whatever wow. they want with this, with this, uh, with this script. They really do. They're, and I have not seen." two of the same script of Greece online like it it's crazy. people are just copying pasting it and just doing it the way they want and I mean that's cool, but it makes it hard for me to find like a solid concrete example of a script right because <laughs> I don't know which one is the accurate end all be-all. This is the one that I would probably see on stage by professionals script. You know what I mean? And
1: I don't think we're ever going to get that because I know so back to what I was saying with the original version, there wasn't the first copy was very like Modge Podge together. And then based on what I found, like even after the first version from the nineteen seventy two play, it got destroyed. It got ruined.
0: That's unfortunate.
1: So we don't even have that copy to look at. And I do know that there, like, people take a lot of liberties with this play, like you were saying, I mean, people like in different countries, too, because it is something that's done worldwide. It's different. Everything's different. Songs are different. Entrances are different. Um, Even like different parts, like Misa was saying, like just changing words. And I mean, you would expect that kind of because of like the language difference. But I mean, they're putting in like whole fighting scenes. Um, there's just very different um, language arguments between characters. Some characters don't exist in other countries. So it's, it's really different because I don't think there's any other musical or play that has that many liberties with it, right? Like if you see, I mean, I don't know if you see cats. Over in like Germany, I'm sure it's going to be in German, but like it's the same, like 100 percent the same, pretty much based on what I know.
0: Yeah, I this was all very new to me when I was researching Greece, and then I researched it again for for this for this episode.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was it it got frustrating because I was like, can I just see a normal script? Yeah. <laughs> can I just yeah. see something that like is definite, you know? And it it you know it sucks, but I mean. I get it. People want to latch on to the popularity of the movie. And, um, you know, some people who are familiar with the movie might go to the stage play expecting to hear the songs from the movie. And so maybe producers want to give that to them. Yeah, that's true. And that's fine. But it's like there are so many versions. It's crazy. Yes.
1: And if we're talking about the differences just from like the original play, Um, prior to it even going to Broadway, and then the
0: movie, like,
1: there's so many differences.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we can actually, we can get into that. We can talk about the OG Grease from 1971.
1: Okay, so OG before, when it was supposed to be just, it originally, uh, Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey were planning on just having, like, you know, traditional high school play weekends, if you will, two weekends, right? Um, and that extended to several months because it was so popular it was even though it was you know only ten years ago, people I guess they really missed that time, you know, and to be able to see that on play and to see kind of the true um like nuances of being a teen, you know we're we're all like everything about it is very much teen, like you know your first love, your first this, whatever, like they did a great job of capturing that, and I think that is one reason why it did so well. After um, 1971, they did have to make some changes for it to go on to Broadway. And there are even more changes once it became into the movie because Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey were not even allowed on set or into the production studio or anything to do with the film.
0: Quick facts that I learned about Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. Jim Jacobs was actually, before he wrote Grease, was an advertising copywriter. Mm Mm-hmm. And Warren Casey was a high school art teacher.
1: Yeah, when I read that, I was like, what? So cool.
0: (laughs) So, guys, it is never too late. You are never too deep into your occupation to write your script.
1: Right. I mean, they were both very, like, considered amateur actors, like, working in just, like, a little, you know, Chicago theater scene, like, something you do for fun as a hobby that they both really loved. And... They were trying to find something to do, and that's when they decided on, like, people from their past. Like, it really is very loosely based, but a, a lot of it comes from what Jim remembers from growing up in high school.
0: Yep, yep. And what's funny is that Jim was a greaser, and Casey was a nerd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's actually kind of cute, because you kind of imagine Danny and Sandy writing the script. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're it. right, because they were writing this right around the seven, like when the 70s were beginning. And so for them, the 50s was already nostalgic for them. Like 20 years ago, that's pretty nostalgic. Like, uh, I think we're all kind of missing the millennium at this point. Oh, yeah. And so and the 90s, of course. Right. So yeah, so they felt nostalgic for this time period where they were in high school and they loved doo And so they penned this play called Grease. And they called it Grease because it is an homage to Greasy Hair, Greasy Engines, and Greasy Food, which this movie made me want a lot of. (laughs) Yes.
1: All of the burgers, all the milkshakes. And can we talk about just the prices of things? Like, come
0: on. 25 cents, 50 cents. If
1: I could get that at that price, like, can you imagine? So awesome.
0: (laughs) Dude, I, holy shit, can't even think about it. Can't even think about it. And then, so yeah, so uh, they did have to clean up the 1971 version because it was a little raunchy. Yeah. I mean, think about how we talk as teens, you know? Yeah, yeah, and then, and, yeah, and so, (laughs) um, there were, uh, even the songs Mm -hmm. got changed once it moved to Broadway, you know, instead of Summer Nights, you would probably hear a song called Foster Beach. Yeah. There is no hand jive, but there is the boogeyman boogie, and so, and then Sandy actually apparently sang a song called Kiss It, which makes her sound like a dominatrix. Yes,
1: there was. So that was actually more at the um, end after her kind of change when she's getting to
0: that point. Yes. So it's, it's interesting to hear about like the nucleus of Greece because of it. Yeah, it's got some tongue in cheek moments. It's got some, again, moments that when you're younger, you don't really realize. Um, but to think that they that the prior versions were just like in your face like the language and uh the sex was like hiked up like it's interesting to think of what it used to be
1: right right and even on Broadway I know that they try to keep you know try to keep it as much as possible and when I say um they I feel like I need to say names um that's uh Ken Wiseman and Maxine Fox who were so like can you imagine being able to attend like Greece in 1971
0: that would be so cool. Who is inventing the time machine and what's taking them so long? I
1: know. Like, let's go. I mean, just to be able to go and see it in its authenticity, I feel like it, it, ugh, I'd probably cry, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I really would. Um, but, yeah, they definitely cleaned it up for Broadway. They changed, like Misa said, some words. They, they rearranged some things to make it work better for Broadway. Um, and it did great it did really well, Um, and it won several awards, you know, it opened, um, and my favorite fact that I know Misa knows, the original Broadway production, when it opened up on that great Valentine's Day in 1972, um, had Barry Boswick as Danny. (laughs)
0: That is correct. He originated the role of Danny Zuko on Broadway.
1: And that just I uh, it just is amazing. It's amazing. There were a lot of changes, but like I said, it did win several awards um and eventually won Best Musical and it went on to play um almost 3500 performances, which was a record for the time. Very cool, very cool. And I would still love to see it. I'm hoping they revive it.
0: And one thing that I saw, Jim Jacobs said that he would love to revive the original version of Grease, but if it became a movie, it would have to be rated R.
1: Yeah, it definitely, definitely would.
0: Yeah. But that's one that I want to see, honestly. <laughs> like, I think that would be really interesting.
1: I would love to see. Um, I, I, I wouldn't hate that. I mean, I know they're talking about doing... Um, Actually, I think it's already in production, the prequel for it for uh, Summer Night, Summer Lovin', I think is what it's called.
0: I did hear something about Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies. It takes place four years before the first Grease.
1: Yes. So, um, and that is one. And then there's another that focuses on the summer, like the summer story.
0: Okay. I haven't heard about that one. But I don't think either of those had
1: R ratings that I saw.
0: No, they wouldn't. I don't think there's ever going to be a rated R version of Greece. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wishful thinking, right? Wishful thinking.
0: It would be interesting. I would I would be intrigued, for sure.
1: For sure. Yes, absolutely. Do you want to talk about um some of the people who were in the play?
0: Yeah, we can. I, I did find various lists. I, I really tried to – I wish that there was one solid database where I could just type in, like, all the people who have played – Da 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 all the people who have played so and so. And then right. they could just give me a list of all the people who have appeared on stage as this character, but there's no such thing. There's none. There's none. Because, you know, the fact that um
1: Conway played Danny, he was an understudy, so technically he didn't even get
0: like it's not on there, even on Playbill. Yeah, it's annoying. But he did eventually play Danny. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, some of the people who I had to dig to find (laughs) uh, who appeared on the stage version of Grease include Jeff Conway, Barry Bostwick, Peter Gallagher, Patrick Swayze, Treat Williams, and Richard Gere. Uh, They all played Danny Zuko at some point. Tracy Ullman played Frenchie in 1979 when they did the London tour. Mm Mm-hmm. Rosie O'Donnell, Maureen McCormick, Brooke Shields, Lucy Lawless, and Linda Blair have all played Rizzo. Megan Mullally has played Marty. Davy Jones has played Vince Fontaine. And the Teen Angel has been played by Taylor Hicks, Billy Porter, and my favorite on the list, Adrian Zamed.
1: I love it. I actually really want to see the um, Debbie Gibson as Sandy version, and I haven't been able to find like a really good copy because I really liked her in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so the one that I know, it kind of mixes both of them, not really Broadway, was a television special, but I did not care for (laughs) Uh, Vanessa Hudgens as Rizzo. I feel like she needs to be a little bit tougher. I do love that Julianne Hough was sandy, though. I think she did a really good job.
0: I don't think I've seen that special in full, but I wasn't crazy about what I saw.
1: Uh, Yeah, and even if you just listen to the songs, which I'm sure Misa can find on Spotify and uh, put those on the list for us, it's just... um, I mean, if if we think about even even the Broadway versions, because there are um, YouTube and there are versions of the Broadway covers of the songs versus the movie, Rizzo just has that kind of roughness, right? Mm -hmm. And um, Vanessa just, her voice is too soft, too pretty Mm -hmm. for some of
0: her parts. Yeah. I mean, she really didn't look the part either
1: no 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 no, not at all she um i mean they did a great job of finding the costumes and recreating them but she just she just didn't have the aura of rizzo if you will i don't know if i'm explaining that well but it's just it's it's not the same energy
0: no there's i think that um when actors and actresses try to shed the skin of a part that they played before that everyone knows them as uh, they tend to try something a little more risque, like you know Molly mm-hmm. Ringwald did that. I didn't she do like a burlesque dancer movie in the eighties or something like that. Ah, and did, then, yeah. um, then there was of course um, Showgirls, the girl from Save by the mm-hmm. Bell. So that's that to me was like Vanessa Hudgens, like she's trying to be like, no, I can I can play a bad girl in high school parentheses, like it like well no you can't and you're. Still doing high school movies.
1: Yeah, yeah. She didn't
0: show much growth as an actress, and she didn't have the depth for Rizzo.
1: Yeah, it was still very high school musical. Um, But I will say my favorite as the Teen Angels actually was from this version, and it's Boys to Men as um, the Teen Angels.
0: Oh, my God. That is amazing.
1: (laughs) Their voices. I mean, it's, it's everything you dream of. It's just perfect
0: love them
1: yeah so so yeah and then um I do know in this version also um Mario Lopez was Vince um and we got um Anna Gasteyer as Principal McGee, which we didn't really talk about her but I thought that that was fun to have like an SNL character in there
0: yeah yeah and Anna Gasteyer is amazingly underrated I know she played Alphaba on uh, the Wicked tour for a while
1: yeah, she is. Um, she's actually her skit with um Will Ferrell, where they're like the high school um singers, the like acapella singers. Uh, that's probably my favorite skit. <laughs> 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 and then of course you know sweaty balls. Um, so I mean she's
0: awesome, awesome. It was good to see her in that role.
1: Yeah,
0: um, maybe I'll check it out at some point.
1: It's not easy to watch all the way through, I will tell you. It was more of a background for me, um, but it's definitely at least worth saying, like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of watched that-ish.
0: <laughs> well, I did tell you that I was thinking about watching uh, Grease on Acid.
1: Yes, so this would be a good opportunity. Maybe you'll like it more.
0: Um, no? I like that you think that. <laughs> that being said, shall we talk about the movie known as Grease. Yes,
1: the movie based off the musical based off the Broadway.
0: Based on that raunchy little thing in Chicago (laughs) one time. Before we go on, I do want to list my sources. Uh, Bear with me, there are a few. So some of my sources include IMDB, LAMag.com, BroadwayMusicalHome.com, Biography.com, Wikipedia, web.archive.org, CheatSheet.com, EntertainmentWeekly.com, SongFacts.com, Variety.com, Vanity Fair's YouTube channel, Glamour's YouTube channel, The Grease 20th Anniversary Feature, Grease.Fandom.com, RollingStone.com, SecondHandSongs.com, GoodMorningAmerica.com, Center.org, Woodstock.com, dot youtube.com, grease soundtrack, dot moviescreencaps.com, san diego union tribune.com, nwtimes.com, and playbill.com.
1: Awesome, and I think we have a lot of the same, um, but I do have a couple that were not listed, so just to go ahead and cover mine also. Um, Scribd.com, Chicago Tribune dot com thelist.com bustle dot com that was not in the book com stageagent.com avclub.com uh there's a lot sorry <laughs> try to be thorough uh cheat sheet. Com. you covered that one uh movies. stack exchange com Insider, kids.kittle.com, Buzzfeed.com, Mentalfloss.com, 80skids.com, and that was it. Oh, nba onecom
0: Perfect. Cool. Okay. So I think between both of us, there is no stone unturned with this movie. <laughs>
1: I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we got them all, all the stones.
0: Cool, cool, cool. So. As far as Greece from 1978, uh, what we all know and have come to love and appreciate was not the original concept. An early concept for the movie was actually for it to be a full-length animated feature.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which I'm glad that they uh, kind of compromised and did the intro only as animated because I can't even imagine. And I also read or watched an interview that um, Jim Jacobs was told that they wanted um, Danny to commit suicide. At the end? Yeah, at one of the options, yeah, that they were talking about. Because there was a lot of transfer of buying the movie rights, trying to adapt it, and then it kind of sat around and... Then eventually, that was one of the ideas that was thrown out. Was for Danny to uh, kill himself.
0: That is really interesting. Which
1: would be a totally different
0: movie. It would be very dark.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, one of the things that happened. So there was a lot of different options, um, but I'm glad that they, like I said, compromised and we got that little animated, awesome clip at the beginning, and. Yeah, and then we got the amazing movie that we did.
0: Yeah, and so the two guys who were going to move forward with the animated movie adaptation were Steve Krantz and Ralph Bakshi, and they actually went as far as purchasing the rights to it, but eventually their partnership lapsed, and so with that, the concept for it kind of died. And it wasn't until uh, Alan Carr, who is the producer of the film, he actually saw Greece when it played in New York, and he saw it becoming a film. And so he paid two hundred thousand dollars for the rights after Bakshi's ownership had expired. And he moved forward with making this epic production. and Alan Carr, uh, he again, the producer of Greece. Uh, He's an interesting character. Here are some interesting tidbits that I uh, found about him. He once staged a party in jail for Truman Capote. Hmm. He worked with Tony Curtis, Joan Rivers, and Mama Cass Elliot. and he did the marketing for the film Tommy, 1975, directed by Robert Stigwood, who is also very linked to Greece. Yeah.
1: Um, I actually hate that movie, Tommy. Tommy, I hate that movie. What is it? So Tommy is loosely based off of The Who. Um, it is a rock musical. Um, with the music and lyrics by Pete Townsend, who is you know the singer of The Who. It is about a child who is deaf, dumb, and blind. It's literally what it says. It's just not good. It's like one of those movies that's just like weird for no reason. Like it, it it may be on acid or something else. I don't know. it's just it's it's not great.
0: It sounds mean.
1: It's awful. Like I, I literally can't even I can't even um, I mean, I own it because I own it because uh, it's a musical. but I mean it is
0: it's a musical.
1: Oh yes, It's a musical. <laughs> um it how can oh my god it just it doesn't it doesn't work um as a musical there is a lot of like dark themes in this musical um do not recommend and do not recommend I just I don't I don't recommend sorry if you like it I'm sorry I hate it I hate
0: it that sounds like a really interesting like not interesting in a good way but like how do you turn such a dark subject into song and dance?
1: I can't tell you. It is it is one of the mo- movies or musicals. Um, there have been two that uh, Frankie has been unable to finish. Tommy is one of them. And the other uh, is Repo Man. <laughs> oh, you told me about that. Which is the rock opera about... Ugh, it's called a genetic opera, excuse me.
0: Which, what the fuck does that even mean?
1: I can't, it's it's like the, I don't even know, guys. I tried to watch it. I got in about maybe 10 minutes and I was like, what the hell is this? No, Paris Hilton is in it. Need I say more? Awful. Piece of shit.
0: Uh, yeah. H- House of Wax is difficult to revisit because of her. Oh, God. I mean, House of Wax is difficult yeah, she... to revisit, regardless.
1: Yeah, that one. Her <laughs> but, version, though, I just mm. Mm.
0: <laughs> not a not face. a fan. All right. Well, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Greece is directed by Randall Kleiser, who, fun fact, is a former college roommate to George Lucas. No way! How cool! Indeed, indeed. In fact, he visited George Lucas while he was filming one of the Star Wars. And uh, for a split second, Randall was considering Carrie Fisher. Yes. For Sandy.
1: Yes. And this was, I think it's super important for us to know, this was his directorial debut.
0: Yes, which is amazing. Like, he never needed to make another movie again.
1: <laughs> no, no, probably not. I mean, he went on to make a couple that were just as big. Um, But Grease is un- pretty much untoppable.
0: Grease, it, I mean, it just, all the records that it broke Mm -hmm. and just all the hype that was around it when you watch the footage of that movie premiere at the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard Mm -hmm. it is hysteria it is like shoulder to shoulder like shoulders in chest to shoulders to chest like it's crazy pack like danny and like danny sandy john and olivia couldn't even move or like walk without being escorted it was insane it really
1: was it really was like people were just like head over heels about everything for that movie and there's so much merch behind it
0: it's crazy it's just again it's just one of those things it's going to live on forever and ever and ever so it's pretty amazing.
1: Yes. And uh before we move on, fun fact I found out about Kleiser. His house was used in Scream
0: Three. He lives in the mansion?
1: Um, I'm assuming oh. it was, yeah, but he was that was his house. It was a part of the Scream Three movie.
0: Wait, I have to know which movie which hang on, I have to know which uh <laughs> let me which find building it. it was. Let
1: me let me find the actual address. I don't know if I can find all that Lisa. Hold on.
0: Because when you say his house, I immediately think of the director's house. It's,
1: yeah, it's the mansion with the pool.
0: It's the mansion okay. with the pool. Okay, so that's that's where the climax and everything takes place. That's where the party is. hmm Because what do we always say? Shit goes down at the prom or the party. Exactly. Exactly. That is so cool. Very cool. He, so he still lives there now to this day? You
1: know, I don't know that. I didn't look up if he's still there, Um, but I just thought that was – so, you know, six degrees that his house was used in Scream.
0: <laughs> Dude, that is fucking amazing. So so he was living there at the time for sure. Yes,
1: he was living there at the time for sure. And he let them use it for the filming.
0: Dude, I would love to know how that conversation went. Like, did Wes knock on his yeah, door? Yeah, like how that came to be. I. That's what fascinates me about like movie making. I'm pretty
1: sure. I mean, what would you do?
0: I mean... I would do anything for Wes Craven.
1: If Wes knocked on your door to ask you for anything, I'd be like, yes, please cut my
0: head off and put it on screen. Yes, please do all the things. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Dude, that is so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought that was, I was like, oh God, I have to tell her. (laughs) Yes, that is a fun fact. I love that. I had fun learning that fact. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, the Grease film screenplay was written by Bronte Woodward, who was a Southern novelist at the time. And when he originally wrote the first draft of the screenplay, it was in December of 1976, and it was very different. It included things such as Danny working as a busboy and gas station attendant, and he actually has a song called Gas Pump Jockey. And then they were going to have an actor named Paul Lind play the principal. Donnie Osmond was penned in as the teen angel. And Greased Lightning was supposed to be performed by the Beach Boys. Mm hmm. How fun. How different. <laughs>
1: I can't even imagine. You know, I don't think you would have done as well.
0: And plus, don't they kind of have that? surfer air about them and grease isn't really about surfing or beach
1: no that's a different disney movie disney has a movie a musical about greasers versus surfers
0: oh really yeah okay are the beach boys on that soundtrack they should be
1: (laughs) they fit right in
0: and then of course i do want to note my girl pat birch she was the choreographer for this film. She was also the choreographer for the show when it went on Broadway. Mm-hmm. She went on to direct Grease too. <laughs> and some fun facts about her. She was a dancer in the original West Side Story production on Broadway.
1: Which, by the way, I just saw the preview.
0: Oh, for the movie, the new movie? Oh, man. It brought a little tear to my eye
1: oh same and let me tell you the fact that they can have a trailer with no words just music and clips of scenes and it can make me as emotional as it did i'm i'm so ready i'm so
0: ready and i love that like the scenes have been altered just so but like when you see them in the trailers even with no dialogue just a quick clip you know exactly what part it is <laughs>
1: I'm so excited.
0: I'm ready. We should go see it together. That should be a Soundtrack City activity. I think I am down for that. We should do that. Do it. All right, it's on the (laughs) book. So anyway, yeah, I, I just love Pat Birch. I mean, obviously, everybody enjoys the dancing in these films. And it is all because of that little woman who, like, fucking showed them how to do it. And we would not be as entranced. This many years later by the film Grease, if it wasn't for some of the amazing choreography that went with that fantastic soundtrack.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, even some of the scenes, the dancing scenes, like they literally won awards for... Like, the most notable dance scene. Um, I believe you're the one that I want. Yep. It was um, the movie dance sequence you reenact in your living room from TV Land Award. Like, I mean, who even knew that was a thing? But it is. And it's because of Pat.
0: It's incredible. It's incredible. And I love that. I mean, yeah, Grease 2 did not do great. But I love that she took a chance. And she put her vision on the big screen and Grease 2 was her only film she did not direct anything after that but even years later like as Grease 2 develops more and more of a following and they even did a reunion a couple years ago and they all like the cast got together with Pat and they all got on stage and talked about Grease 2 and to this day all those actors just praise her For being so supportive and just making shit work and just being amazing. Like, it is so sweet to hear people speak highly of her because she deserves it. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Shall we talk about the cast?
1: Yeah, let's jump in. We know the obvious ones, yes. We know we have uh, John Travolta as Danny. And this was right after, you know, Saturday Night Fever and he was pretty big um and Olivia Newton-John as Sandy Olsen whose name was also changed for the movie Danny is kind of living like a double life as a t-bird and not really Sandy's boyfriend but he's much sweeter when Sandy meets him um and Sandy is that very pure kind of 50s I don't even know how to describe her poodle skirt. Like wearing, like nothing was ever tied on her. You can tell by the color con um, contrast to the pink ladies. Like she's very different. She's very prim and proper. I um, mean, those are our two yeah. protagonist characters. Um, and then we have our amazing T-birds, which is Jeff Conway, who, like Misa said, he did actually star as Danny on stage and then um, became Kaniki. We have. Perry Pearl as Duty. Uh, he's often seen with Frenchie. We have Michael Tucci as Sonny Latieri. I love his name, Latieri. Yes, sir, no. <laughs> um, and he is, I guess, technically, he's like Marty's boyfriend, kind of ish. I don't know. They're a weird couple. <laughs> and then we have Kelly Ward as Putzy, who is with Jan in the Pink Ladies group.
0: You wanna take pink ladies? Sure. Um, so for our pink ladies, we have the beautiful Stucker Channing as Rizzo. She is the leader of the group. We have Dinah Manhoff who plays Marty. We have Jamie Donnelly who plays Jan. And I think perhaps everyone's favorite is Dee Khan, who plays Frenchie. And I Frankie, I please tell me that you used to watch Shining Time Station. Oh my god. yes yep that is the first like exposure I had to Didi Khan and so when I watched Grease for the first time she was the only one that I really recognized aside from I guess like John Travolta of course um but Didi Khan was like I was already a fan of hers I loved Shining Time Station that's how that's why I love Ringo Starr so much that's why I love George Carlin so much like so great, funny. great show! Oh my God, Thomas the Tank Engine, fuck yeah!
1: Oh yeah, and her her voice is just—I mean, she couldn't be anyone besides Frenchie.
0: She's so sweet. She was just so perfect, and and she's on cameo. And apparently, the most popular mm-hmm. thing is for people to pay her to say uh, the father line for Father's Day. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. that's so cute. Yeah,
1: and she did have a cameo in the uh, live the live action Fox version. So, yeah.
0: I did hear about that. Who is she in the live version?
1: She actually is the waitress. Yeah. She's Vi.
0: That's so cute and perfect. I love that. Yeah. She's one of the few cast members from Greece who returned for Greece 2. I recently found out, like, she, when she signed on for the film, she was told, like, hey, Come back as Frenchie, and you're going to have your own solo song. Oh, really? And she was down. She loved it. Yeah, she loved the idea. And the thing is that when they started filming Grease 2, the script wasn't done yet. And so eventually, when you watch Grease 2, Frenchie does kind of disappear. And that's because the writing went in another direction Mm. without her. But there were scenes where she is teaching Michael how to be a biker, how to be a cool yeah. rider. Like, and she that's where she has her song. And she's singing to him on the bleachers where he's practicing riding the bike. And there is actually photos of this and there is footage somewhere and they recorded her song. And so she's been like trying to ask, like, when can I see my scene? When can I, <laughs> when can we see Frenchie's oh solo? God. And so there are there are fans who are like clamoring, including myself. We're like, we need a special features version of Grease 2. The 40th anniversary is next year. We need something with like a special edition. Like it's never gotten one like that. We need deleted scenes. You know, we need the extended soundtrack. Yeah, so kind of like how Zack mm-hmm. Snyder's cut like everyone thought it didn't exist and they were wrong because they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about and I did <laughs> and it's actually the same with Batman Forever there was a much darker longer version that Joel Schumacher shot and it's locked up in a vault somewhere and we have been clamoring, released the Schumacher cut for years now, like years and now it's Grease 2 I, I want Grease 2 uncut I want to see all of it, I need it all of it, I need all of it. Anyway, Didi Khan is in that too. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you're That crazy. was a lot. But I just, she, she's the only one who's been in all three. She's been in the original, the sequel, and Grease Live. Yes.
1: Yes. That is 100% true. So
0: that is really cool. That is really cool. And even though she got cut out of some of Grease 2, she's in Grease 2. That's
1: amazing.
0: <laughs> uh, and adorable yeah. as ever. She's still wearing her same pink lady jacket.
1: She ages well. She's so cute. She's still
0: cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: so yeah and then uh we do have some our uh, like our school staff they are not super important but we have eve arden sid caesar as a gym uh coach teacher i know he has lots of roles. roles and then um honestly my favorite like underrated character is probably blanche the secretary because <laughs> she should, <laughs> she's hilarious i love watching her <laughs>
0: Yeah, she's amazing. I I love just seeing her in the background, like even when she's not talking, she's being so funny or cute, like taking apart a
1: typewriter.
0: <laughs> oh my! Or like dancing on stage to Hound Dog.
1: Yes, and she's just adorable. And I I love the way uh, Principal McGee just watches her, and, and just such utter like, what are you doing? Disgusting! Mm-hmm. It's it's hilarious. Hilarious.
0: And then, of course, later on, I will talk a little bit about Sha-Nana, who portrayed Johnny Casino and the Gamblers.
1: Yes, the only band that could.
0: But we'll get to that. Shall we get into the movie For Real, For Real? (laughs)
1: For real, for real, yes, I think so. Jumping right into the movie, we immediately open up on this beautiful beach scene with this high operatic voice singing love is an only splendor thing. Um, which will be one of our honorable mentions. And we see two adorable young people, you know, playing in the water, throwing water on each other. And then we zoom in and we see that it's the end of summer. They're saying goodbye. And, of course, Danny, being the uh, romantic that he is, tries to get a kiss goodbye. And Sandy, the girl, uh, does not appreciate this. In a nice way, don't spoil it, and um, then they they go on their separate ways, and Sandy kind of asks for confirmation like is this is this the end?" And Danny's like, no, it's it's just the beginning. And our song drastically changes. and we are introduced to the amazing song that was written by Barry Gibb to open up Greece, the song title "Grease." Performed by Frankie Valley. No so, like Misa talked about, when we got some different um, options for what Greece was going to look like, um, they did kind of compromise. And so, animator John David Wilson created this fantastic opening grease montage and we get a um a radio coming on that's like it's the first day of school don't be a slob don't get a job go back to class you can pass and um then they start the song grease and we see our first character danny and his room is a mess and like disgusting like very appropriate for the time um and for a teen boy i speak the truth as a mom of a teen boy um and he's like a slob Goes to the mirror, starts to get ready, um, and then it does show, okay, John Travolta's playing Danny, and then we go into this beautiful, like, almost snow white room.
0: With a canopy bed.
1: Yeah, like that. She had, they had money, right? Okay, so she had the canopy bed and, like, all these beautiful, like, little animals. Um, Like, there's a deer, and uh, everything is very clean and pristine, um, and it is Sandy and she's in like this gorgeous nightgown. That was one thing that I always noticed. I was like, what teen girl wears a nightgown like that? Like, are we not all sleeping in just random shorts and a shirt? Cause I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> if We're supposed to be in blue laced pajamas, you know?
0: I didn't know I had to look pretty while I was sleeping. Right.
1: Right. Who am I uh, getting dressed up for? So <laughs> because I have a problem with that. So, yeah, she gets ready. Then we see it's Olivia Newton-John. And and then we go on through all of our characters. We see Rizzo. Her, one of my favorite scenes is her with a turtleneck. We see this awesome, um, like, her neck gets really long. Really cute and funny. And then she changes into, like, a regular button-up shirt. Um, But I love that in her room, we see, like, James Dean posters. And we get to really see, like, how each of our characters, like, I feel... Um, The artist did a great job of trying to capture, you know, those characters and what they might have in their actual rooms, which I think is my favorite thing about that opening scene, because we do get to see that. Um, And doesn't her bra even say T-birds on it? Does it? I thought it did. I could be wrong. I may be looking too hard, um, but I feel like it said T-birds on it or it has a T on it.
0: Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like little hearts on the nipples. Okay.
1: Just kidding. I thought that was on the sweater. Um, but I could be totally making that up. Uh, so yeah, then we go to Rizzo and then we see, um, who's next? Uh, Kaniki. Yeah. Kaniki. Okay. So we see Kaniki who is actually, he's probably my favorite. Um, we see him uh, in the auto shop because that is very much his character, always working on the car, total greaser. He gets eaten by his car, comes out in the um, inside of it. And of course, his hair is a mess and we see him come back and there there is uh, Nikki. Then we go through our T-Birds and our Pink Ladies. And I love how we see all of the kind of produced by, based by on the billboards that are going on. Um, he also did a great job of incorporating just like that pop culture that was going on. Like we see records, we see Matt TV, um, the cars that are in the background, the theater, the clothing. There's restaurants, um, the scenes from the street life is very much in that 50s era, even though it is a 70s movie, um, and it's it's done really well. And there's also um, like ads that were appropriate for the time um, on those billboards and on like little street posters if you will I don't know what they're called
0: I don't know I was just gonna say billboards too honestly
1: yeah well uh, yeah well I guess they're billboards not the big ones but if you look in some of the close-up like little I don't know what they are like little they're like a little advertising posters that aren't as big as billboards there we go (laughs) gotcha And through all of this wonderful, drawn montage, we are hearing Grease. Grease Grease That song is written by Barry Gibb, who was called up to write that by our producer because they needed an opening song. And he literally called them and was like, hey, I need you to write a song called Grease. And Barry was like, uh, "Okay, what do you mean? Like, what? Where am I going with this? What am I doing?" And he was like, "You know, like greases, is, grease is the word greases. You know about that scene." And Barry Gibb did a great job of doing that. He wrote it in less than a day, and he was able to capture that, like Misa said, those greasy foods, greasy cars, greasy hair, in a song.
0: I did read one one of the articles that I. Red mentioned how um the lyrics to Greece are actually kind of dark, and they really don't have anything to do with the film at all. no, they don't. with the concept and what little advice he was given i I love Greece. This is my favorite song on the entire soundtrack, uh, and it always has been um but it it's uh i always wondered like where are these lyrics going who are these lyrics referring to like i always wondered who this song was about and in delving into this research i found out like it's really not about any of them it's just a really really fucking good tune by Barry Gibb yes yes
1: such a good i mean he it just shows how great of a writer he is because even though it is dark and doesn't totally match the movie like the fact that he wrote that song just from being given a word is really freaking cool. And the fact that he um was able to make it a song that was so popular and charted. Um yeah. I mean that speaks volumes for him. That speaks volumes for him. Um and I know after Barry wrote the song, he was like, you know, there's there's only one person who I can think of to sing this and it was uh Frankie Valley, because that was his favorite pop singer of all time. Um, and he didn't realize, or maybe he did, um, I wasn't able to find that answer that Valley actually already was going to be involved in the movie as, um, singing the beauty school dropout. So he was given the choice. Do you want to do the beauty school dropout scene or do you want to do the opening song? And of course he chose the latter. And that was a great choice because that song, like I said, topped charts. On the Billboard Hot 100 and that song has I mean I don't even that song is just it's so notable like I don't know a person who doesn't know that song
0: yeah they've heard of the
1: song right mm-hmm. um and yeah it it charted not just in the U.S. but around the world and it stayed there um in various places for weeks um and one fun fact about the song the guitar
0: player is Peter Frampton. I was so excited when I found it. I was like, what? Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Grease was released as a single by Frankie Valley in May of 1978. And it sold oh. over 7 million copies worldwide. And like Frankie said, it was written specifically for the film. It is one of four songs to be written for the movie that were not featured in the stage production prior to the film being made. Now, of course, "Greece" and some of the other songs, You're the One That I Want, Hopelessly Devoted to You, etc., those have been Frankensteined into the play, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think I'll allow it because I think the stage play is probably better with them.
1: Yeah, I think it's a nice um, kind of
0: mesh or melding of the two. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, so featured on the recording of "Greece," we have Frankie Valley, of course, on lead vocals, Peter Frampton on guitar, Barry Gibb on backing vocals. And you can hear him especially in that bridge when they're like, what are we doing here? A lot of that's Barry. Uh, We have George Terry on guitar, Harold Cowart on bass, Ron Ziegler, or Ziegler, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name, on drums, Carl Richardson as the engineer, and Gary Brown on saxophone. And
1: what a group they were.
0: Indeed. So it was Roger Stigwood who directed that awful movie that Frankie never wants to watch again. Um, Robert Stigwood is the one who called Barry about penning the title track. Not only was he producing Grease, he was also the Bee Gees manager. And we all know that Barry Gibb was one of the Bee Gees. (laughs) He told Barry Gibb about how John Farrar had written, you're the one that I want and hopelessly devoted to you. And they needed a song for that title track. And that's when he, Frankie filled in the rest. He basically gave him a concept and Barry ran with it. And it is an amazing song. I love Grease. (laughs) I love this song a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this song jams. Um, And to think that Kleiser didn't like it.
0: I know. He didn't like this one because he, I think he agreed. He said it was dark. He wanted a fun movie, an upbeat, bright, you know, just something relatively family friendly. And Grease didn't really emphasize that the way he would have liked, but yeah. he included it. And I'm glad that it was included because it is a great opening. Like as soon as the fucking guitar, that those brass instruments come in, like oh man it's just so good it's so good and
1: I do love the fact that it is to the animation because I feel like it would be too soft Do you know what I mean if we have like this cutesy super family friendly song with the animation like it wouldn't be the same vibe to me so to me I think it's the perfect melding
0: yeah because the animation itself is kind of gritty you know it's very sketchy
1: if you pay attention (laughs) If you pay attention. Some people don't. You'd be surprised. But yes, if you truly pay attention, yes, there there's some not so great
0: uh, drawings in there. It's, it's very mm-hmm. realistic, if you will. Um, but I do love the opening montage. I think it's really brilliantly done. Another thing that Barry Gibbs said about Frankie Valli, when asked if he would have preferred to be on the track, Gibbs said that he actually understood why it would be better to give it to Frankie Valli, and that was because the filmmakers needed a voice from that time period. And he was totally cool with Mm -hmm. it because, as Frankie said, Valli was one of Barry's favorite singers ever. And so imagine writing a song and someone you looked up to records it
1: can't even imagine
0: that is pretty freaking cool so greece was frankie valley's second u.s number one hit as a solo artist three years earlier he hit the top spot with my eyes adored you and before that he had an astonishing five number one hits with the four seasons so famous (laughs) (laughs) when he was approached about greece frankie valley didn't have a record deal The single was released on Robert Stigwood's RSO label, which issued the soundtrack. Valley quickly landed a deal with Warner Brothers, but he never scored another hit on the Hot 100. Despite the song being featured in this film set in the 50s, it actually has a 70s style to it. Kind of a disco funk. Yes, agreed. And some of the subject matter actually alludes more so to the revolt of the 60s and the 70s
1: yeah and I can definitely see that even the um, even some of the cartoons I think fit that theme
0: yeah so you know when you take the lyrics apart you know not everything is necessarily significant to the 50s Um, I think Barry did some meshing of the timelines there but hey History repeats itself, so I guess it's it's a song that, I think that's another reason why Greece is so timeless, is because the song itself can remain relevant. So that's that's another reason why Randall really didn't like it, but he was pressured to include it, because they really wanted to have that link with Barry Gibb, they had a link to Saturday Night Fever, which had done really, really well in the winter of 77. And so in the effort of kind of Latching onto that, so to speak, they wanted to have the song in the film because it was a link to Barry Gibb and the success of what became the most successful, highest selling soundtrack of all time in Saturday Night Fever.
1: Right. Yes.
0: So that is pretty freaking cool. And I love that they included it after all.
1: Yes. Very cool. Very cool. The ending scene of that as they're driving, um, we see, you know, very big back then, the car racing um, and two cops pull over and they perfectly segue into the real world of our high school on the very first day of school.
0: And this is when we meet the T-Birds, otherwise known as the Thunderbirds.
1: (laughs) And they're so cute. I love how they're so excited to see each other. I feel like they didn't, like, obviously they didn't do anything together over summer. Right? Like, that's the vibe.
0: That's what I've picked up on it because they're like, hey, Kaniki, where you been on Subur? And Oh, my God. Kaniki is so fucking hot. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's the most attractive of all of them, I think.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. One thing that I will say, I'll just get this out of the way, too. Um, I think I would like Greece better if the story was about Rizzo and Kanicki, because I think they are the ones who have a more relatable story. I think they have more depth. I think they're the more interesting characters. I find myself wanting more of Kanicki and Rizzo throughout Mm -hmm. the film. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, we do meet Kanicki and he's been working all summer because he's saving up to get me some wheels. Mm -hmm. And then they spot Danny in front of the school And they call out to him, and it is the exact same Danny, the super sweet blue-eyed Danny from the beginning. Only this time, he is wearing a white t-shirt and a black leather jacket that says T-Birds on the back. He's a greaser, and he is the leader of the T-Birds. Yes,
1: and it's quite obvious him and Kaniki seem a little bit closer than the other two three Mm -hmm. or at least that's the vibe um you get they uh quickly catch up on summer um but i do think that danny has an interesting line here about you know like it's always the same girls you know that everyone's going after um which i feel like does kind of allude that he's tired of that scene which may be why he let out like his true character with sandy trying to trying to play a little positivity for Danny cuz he's he sucks otherwise
0: <laughs> Yeah, I guess I can see it that way. I always just kind of saw it as cuz they're they're like, "Oh, you see any Again, guys, not all of Greece aged well. So, forgive us for being crude when we quote it, but
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. they
0: they call him over and they're like, "Hey, you see any new broads over there?" He said, "No, it's the same old chicks everybody's made it with." So, He's basically saying like, to me, I was like, no, the, he, he doesn't see any fresh meat because everyone's already, everyone's already got a story behind her. I
1: could see that too. Yeah.
0: And that's why he fell for Sandy, a foreigner who, who he would never see again because it didn't matter.
1: I can definitely see it that way too. So I try to give him a little spin, though, because he he doesn't have much going for him.
0: No, nah, no. Nah, but he uh he that's what I always when I was growing up I wondered like was he actually a nice guy at the beach and then he became a T bird, but now in in kind of doing a little more research I learned like no he was already a T bird. He yeah he was already a T bird because uh Greece too kind of shed some light on how you become a T bird. And so Danny would have known before summer started that he was going to be the leader of the group. He would have known by then and he would have had his jacket. So that eventually I did figure it out. But for a minute, I was like, did he change over the summer? (laughs) Like when she left? (laughs) Because that part was always kind of unclear to me.
1: And he does kind of um, tell them like no names or anything, but they like, you know, how was the action at the beach? And he's like, yeah, I met this one cool chick. And, of course, Sunny, you know, you mean she puts out. And Danny, like, it's not all you ever think about. But I thought, again, you know, it was interesting that he said that, but I also feel like he was just trying to uh, avoid the question, meaning that he did not do anything with her.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's how I read that, too. Like, he's, he's avoiding telling them no because they're going to give him shit for not getting any. Exactly. And Sandy definitely didn't give him any. Oh, no. Not at all. Yeah, that's quite obvious. (laughs) And speaking of Sandy, as soon as they walk out of frame, we see Frenchie, played by Didi Khan, walking up with Sandy, the new girl. And she is the same girl that Danny met at the beach. And she's super nervous because this is her first day at an American high school. And Frenchie's like, you'll love it. And... Sandy, this is what always confused me, and then I finally figured it out. Sandy says, I'm no stranger to heartbreak. And Frenchie says, why? You got psoriasis?
1: I've never understood that either.
0: Yeah, it took, I hated it. It bugged the shit out of me. I was like, why did that make it to the final cut of the film? For years and years and years, I did not know what the fuck that meant. And finally, as I researched this film, I found it.
1: Please shed some light.
0: This is a reference to an ad that was relevant at the time that Greece was written, but not in 1958. That's why we don't what? get it. One of the sources I named had this on it. It says, As Olivia Newton-John Sandy is approaching Rydell High for the first time, she tells Dee Kahn's Frenchie, I'm no stranger to heartbreak. To which Frenchie replies, why, you got psoriasis? This is a reference to a Tegrin ad that, considering Greece was set in 1958, wouldn't exist for another five years.
1: Wow.
0: So, I hope I scratched that itch on your brain, people, because it drove me fucking nuts. I did not know what the fuck she was talking about, and it annoyed the shit out of me.
1: Yeah, it just didn't fit. I didn't understand. Um, I, I feel like we could have gone somewhere different in that line.
0: Next, we meet the pink ladies, who are so cute in their adorable
1: pink car. They roll up to school, of course, right as the bell rings and they get out and Rizzo is, you know, here we go again, only this time we're seniors and they are so excited. Uh, they walk up to the school and so Jan is eating something of course Marty who is always so poised and put together very very much mature for the group she hits Jan and she's like that's so adolescent and Jan laughs it off we are adolescent and they walk up and Rizzo says all right let's go get them and they look like you know it's another jawbreaker scene the epitome of the popular high school girls everyone wants to be them everybody fears them they're amazing.
0: Oh, my God. Someone needs to take the clip of them coming to school and put You Who over it. <sighs> yes. Okay. Let's look for it. Someone's had to have thought about this, right? <laughs> Someone had to have made that. It's on YouTube somewhere. It has to be. Yeah. It's got to be somewhere.
1: So, yeah. And then uh, we go into the school. Of course, this is where we kind of see our background, staff, um, people. Uh, they're getting ready for the new school year. Um, it's very different, though. We see teachers, like, clocking in, which I thought was always very interesting. The, with a punch card. But, yeah, then we see Sandy gets her schedule and um, introduces herself to the principal. Um, she also meets the shop teacher who's asking about summer, I mean, a winter break already because, you know, everyone's counting down. Uh, and then we do hear a fun thing about Keniki. Uh, like, I've got Keniki again, and he's been here longer than I have. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is uh, kind of an important line, though, so that you see that because uh, our characters are old. <laughs> they're supposed to be in high school, but none of them really look like they're in high school.
0: <laughs> no, I think Dinah Meinhoff was the only one who was like, she's 19 and then everyone else is 20 and up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I thought, OK, maybe that was in there to uh, kind of help answer that question about why everyone looks so old. So yeah, then we see our boys walking, and uh, we can tell they're troublemakers, and we know that they're frequent flyers with McGee because we see them get in trouble with her in the ho- in the hallway. Um, we're introduced to some other background characters, such as Eugene, who I always loved Eugene. He's adorable. This adorable little nerd.
0: He is so funny. He's basically like the butt of their jokes. They're always bullying him, picking on him, fucking with him. He does return in Greece too, so I want to say he's a sophomore in this film
1: okay that makes sense so yeah and then we see uh sandy running, and she's in like very different classes than the other people so i'm feeling like maybe she's in honor classes or advanced classes because like in her room that she runs into everyone's like seated taking notes as opposed to like the room we see with um the the t-birds like it looks like they're in lab or something um just very lax like not really doing anything you know like a typical on level high school
0: yeah and i love the morning announcements because well first she sets up like the bonfire is going to be this saturday and then we're going to have we're going to be on national bandstand we're going to have a dance off at rydell and it'll be our chance to show the nation what fine bright clean cut wholesome students we have here at rydell (laughs) she did such a great job it is so funny and so i love the morning announcements because it's also like our characters aren't really speaking but they're all in class listening to the announcements and we kind of get a taste for who they all are so like rizzo jan duty and sunny are all in one class together sandy runs into her classroom and frenchie's in there and then putsy and danny and Kaniki are in what looks like a science lab or a bio lab or something mm-hmm. like that And Kaniki puts a dead frog in Patty Simcox's purse (laughs) (laughs) and they laugh at her when she finds it. Yes, she runs out screaming. Um, And then,
1: yeah, all of a sudden it is lunchtime. And so we see everyone kind of gathering. I love how everything is outside. They have, like, all these adorable, like, picnic tables and eating areas. And lunch is very chill. Like, everyone's kind of eating by themselves. And uh, one of the interesting lines though is uh, with Rizzo and um, looking at Zuko this morning and that's ancient history. And so uh, we definitely know that something happened between them in the past. And we can see kind of their little uh, flirtatious combos throughout.
0: Yeah, they kind of have that, um, like Rizzo and Danny are kind of on the same plane at this point. And so it kind of makes Mm -hmm. you wonder what they were like when they dated because obviously they were younger. I want to say I think it's pretty clear that he dated Rizzo before he met Sandy. I would think so. So they must have dated like junior year, sophomore year, maybe freshman year. And so it kind of makes you wonder like, you know, you and I, Frankie, had our share of relationships in high school. And I know I was a different girl – as a freshman girlfriend than I was as a senior girlfriend. And I know you were the same. Oh, yeah. And so it makes me wonder, like, what did Danny and Rizzo go through together that led them to become who they are today? She's the leader of the Pink Ladies, and he's the leader of the T-Birds. And they have this love-hate back and forth, like, almost like Benson and Stabler, but a lot less love and a little more bicker. Oh, yeah. And it you know, their relationship works. And it's not like the kind that you want to see them together, but you see why they're not together. And so that's another reason why, like, I I wish I had more of Rizzo. I, I feel like her story is so much more complex. That line does give it away that there was something at one point between Rizzo and Danny, but Rizzo brushes it off and says, that's ancient history. And Marty just like, like, oh, well, history sometimes repeats itself. (laughs) Yeah. And Rizzo just mocks her. She doesn't really care. And that's when Frenchie walks up with Sandy. Frenchie introduces Sandy and uh, tells him, like, she moved from
1: Australia. And then they kind of all sit down and start eating. And then um, they ask Sandy, like, how do you like the school? Um, And you can see right away that kind of Rizzo's kind of already, like, you know, checking her out, seeing – um, what kind of person she is because she obviously doesn't like wear even the same kind of clothes as the pink ladies at least in my opinion their outfits are drastically different except for maybe Jan Jan's kind of not frumpy but yes I hate saying frumpy
0: no I get it Jan Jan seems to wear clothes that are too big for her
1: okay that's a good way yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: like like It looks like she wears, like, isn't she wearing, like, a big sweater or something? And it looks like a size too big. Yeah.
1: It's really large. Yeah.
0: And then she's wearing a long skirt uh, in August, presumably, or September. I mean, obviously, Jan's thing is that she's kind of always eating but I've never seen Jan as being, like, fat. I just kind of see her as wearing ill-fitting clothes.
1: Thank you. Yeah. when they smell. And she's
0: definitely not as, like, refined as Marty. And she doesn't wear as tight-fitting clothes as Rizzo. Right. She definitely doesn't have the same confidence. Um, but, yeah, Sandy's, like, completely
1: different color scheme, you know, different style for the 50s when she sits down with them. Um, and then we get introduced to Patty, who is the like super popular cheerleader student counsel, um you know, wants to be friends with everyone, if you
0: I love Rizzo and her and the back and forth like, I feel like i I garner Rizzo energy quite a lot because like i I'm one of those people who like if you're too happy to be alive and I'm really not in the mood to be around you, I will be off-putting like that, yeah <laughs> and and that's what Rizzo does, like Patty is like, "Oh, don't you just love the first day of school. It's the biggest thrill of my life. Oh, you'll never guess what's happened. <sighs> Probably not. They just announced the nominees for vice for student council and guesses up for vice president who. Me, isn't it the most? Uh, to say the least. The, the very least. <laughs> and it's just great that Rizzo just does not, just refuses to play into her energy and just waste any on her because she's just like, I do not give a fuck what you do, Patty Simcox. Yeah. And Patty Simcox just makes room for herself on the lunch table when she sees Sandy. That's when, like, she kind of gets roped into the cheerleading thing
1: yes she's like we'll be lifelong friends and so she's talking to Patty and then the um rest of the girls are kind of like crowding around um and Frenchie does say like what do you think about Sandy being in the pink ladies and of course Riz does say she looks too pure and she does she I, I think she was too pure to be a pink lady at that point
0: right right because and that's that's another thing that a concept that I had to kind of understand as I grew older because immediately you know you grow up at least now it's different but when you were growing up when we were growing up pink was very much associated with girls and blue with boys and so when you think pink ladies you kind of think uh prissy preppy kind of but in actuality oh absolutely these pink ladies have an edge to them they're sexually active You know, they idolize people like James Dean. They make out with boys in cars like they don't play by the rules. They have their own. That was kind of interesting that Rizzo refers to her as being too pure to be pink because it's like, well, yeah, I get it. Because like Sandy's kind of a square compared to them. Right. Yeah. Um, And then we shift over to the T-Birds. And oh, they are having lunch on the bleachers on the football field. And like, Sonny's eating salami, and Kanicki Kaniki is drinking from a can in a brown paper bag on campus. So let's just throw that out there. And then he has like a sandwich. Um, and Duty has like a water gun for some reason. <laughs> uh, they're making fun of Tom Chisholm, who is uh, on the football team, and he ends up dropping his helmet and getting his foot caught in it and it's so stupid and they're just laughing at him. He's an idiot. Yeah he's oh my gosh but Lorenzo Lamas is so handsome. Yeah he's just an idiot. (laughs) Oh I know I know Uh, because his brains are in his biceps Um, Uh. but anyway this is okay here's my question for you Frankie and maybe you can answer this for me. So earlier when we met the principal and Blanche Sandy walks up and says, oh, this is my first day of school. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be. So she's filling out the forms to register for school. So now in the lunch scene, Kaniki asks, did you see that new chick at registration? She sure beat the palm domes around here. Is he talking about Sandy? Yes. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up because it has been an itch on my brain. Yes. It has been
1: stated that, yes, he was talking about Sandy because, of course, that makes sense with the timeline. Um, and I think that he is uh, – or what was stated is that he's appreciating, like, she looks different. She's very well put together. Um, but she's also not like a Patty Simcox, you know, just in that first meeting. Like, she's not super hyperactive. Like, she's put together. She looks good. She's pretty. But she's calm. I mean that in a nice way. <laughs> Patty's a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Patty can, Patty is an overwhelming presence uh, compared to Sandy's just kind of a little more timid. Of course, she is being really shy today because it is her first day of school. Um, right. So, okay. I, I had wondered that because um, at first I used to think like, oh, he's talking about an employee at registration, like at the registration desk. Uh, you know, maybe she's early 20s and super pretty or something like that, and we just didn't see her. But that line there made sense to me, so he is talking about Sandy then. <laughs> and then the next line I've always wanted to know who is Annette. Thank you, that is my next question. I was hoping you could help me.
1: That one I don't know, but the character, um, Cha Cha, the person who played her, her name is Annette, and then I didn't know if it was like a reference to, um, like a different actress from the 50s. When I was a
0: kid, uh, the first thing I thought of was Annette Funicello, because she was closely associated with Frankie Avalon.
1: And that is what I did find, and yes, you are but that,
0: I, But that just trips me out, because I'm like, okay, I admit, I the only work I've seen Annette Funicello do was when she guest starred on Full House. I think it was like season three. Joey goes to Hollywood. Oh, her and Frankie Avalon did like a sitcom pilot with Joey, and Michelle goes up to her. And she's like, "Are you Annette Funny Jello?" Which is why I'm struggling to say her name, which is Funichello. I love it. <laughs> That's why I keep stopping because <laughs> I I have Michelle in my head. I had already seen that episode by the time I watched Greece, and so when my I would ask my sister, like they refer to Annette twice. Because Rizzo says it in, look at me, I'm Sandra Dee. And I'm like, who the fuck are you, Annette? And so I remember when I was a kid and I had watched this a couple of times and I even asked my sister, like, who is Annette? And she was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And then I was like, is it, do you think it's Annette from a jealous, God damn it, Annette, that girl. And I was like, do you think it's Annette from Frankie and Annette? And my sister was like, oh, Maybe, <laughs> like she didn't even yeah. know. That's my only guess, the only thing I could think of. Is that for real?
1: It is for real, yes. So based on the research, uh, yes, that is um, who they are referring to because you are correct, they refer to her in the other song also. And um, this is one that I had to dig deep, but this is one of Jim's crushes from the 50s. And that's why he included those lines.
0: Oh, okay, okay. It's all coming together now. That does make sense, and the timeline works. See, the only reason I doubted it was her was because I've only seen her as, like, an older woman. So I'm like, were people really looking at Annette Funicello that way? Like, were they really looking at her that, like, like making her, like, because they make her sound like she's on a pedestal.
1: They do. And the way they talk about her, they make it sound like they know her personally.
0: Exactly. Which is another reason why I'm like, wait, who is Annette? They really do make it sound like they're just like friends with this girl, Annette, or they're aware of this girl, Annette. So, okay. We solved it. Yay. You're welcome. Yep.
1: That is what that means. And yes, that took some deep digging, but yes. And then from this point we do um get the boys are like i want to hear about what danny did at the beach and then of course the girls are trying to make conversations so what did you do this summer and sandy is simultaneously telling the girls about meeting a boy at the beach and this is where we get the smash hit summer night
0: summer loving had me
1: So Summer Nights is a song um, that is a duet. It was written by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey, who we already kind of covered, so I'm not going to talk much about them, Um, except for the fact that this song was inspired by Jim Jacobs' first summer love, which I thought was cute. That is cute. Yeah, and he went on to say that that was kind of the inspiration for a lot of the scene um, and a lot of the movie because it's about the first, the first love, the first this, the first heartbreak. Um, And so that is, very much embodied throughout the whole film but in this song in particular he wanted to pay um particular homage to that sandy is telling the girls about her summer while danny is telling the boys and you get to see the differences in their stories because they do not match up which
0: leads us to believe that danny is lying (laughs) at least in my mind he is straight up lying like oh he just wants to impress his friends yes and And he's being a teenage boy and fabricating the fuck out of this poor girl because as far as he knows they're never gonna learn the truth
1: exactly they're never gonna question he's never gonna have to explain himself and you know here we are like sandy calls him romantic and Danny's like oh you don't want to hear all the horny details and they're like yes tell us so they go in and of course even the way he talks about like I met a girl crazy for me like he wasn't crazy about her you know what I mean there are some lines that do not age well like about you know did she put up a fight well she got uh, friendly down on her knees or on the sand I forget the exact line. We met out under the dock, and of course, she's like, We stayed out till 10, you know,
0: (laughs) we got lemonade, (laughs) right?
1: Like, very, very sweet. And on his end, it's like, Yeah, we did much more. Um, and I love this scene because, again, I'm I love when everyone sings together, so I love that. Yes, it is the duo, but we do have um, all of the T Birds and Pink Ladies, minus Rizzo who are talking or singing certain lines throughout the song. Now Rizzo does say, because he sounds like a drag, which I always thought was so funny (laughs) because she is not having it. Um, She does not believe in like this romance and love and everything. And it's, it's, It's really funny to see her difference in this scene. Rizzo, I feel like, has some, maybe some, like, trauma or some hurt. Like, she's not about, like, I'm falling in love with someone. Like, she's about, you know, getting her rocks off and, you know, that's it. You go do your own thing.
0: Rizzo has this presence about being, like, jaded, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's also what makes me wonder, like, what happened between her and Danny. So, yeah, like, and even Rizzo was like, at first, she's like, oh, you hold your cookies all the way to the beach for some guy. Yeah. Which is so funny. Um, I love She her. thinks love is kind of bullshit. And so she doesn't really care to hear about this.
1: Yes. Agreed. And I do think that, like, I don't mean this in the same way as, like, for Danny, but I do think that inside or deep down, like, yes, she really does want that love, but it is just not where she is at in her head right now. And she is not going to let anyone like act like she's soft or pretend that she's soft or whatever. Yeah. She
0: has like that wall, that protective wall. Exactly.
1: And so we see this amazing choreography. We see dancing on both ends. um, And it is going back and forth between the frames with the girls and the guys. Um, And the, the lyrics do get a little bit more raunchy based on Danny's side throughout. Like she talks about holding his hand. And like I said, he talks about her getting friendly down in the sand and, um, he also says like she was good, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's it's it gets yeah. I mean, it it didn't age well, um, but it's still it's a great song in the movie, and everyone is dancing and singing, even though it shows us that like Danny is totally lying, and it's a very different timeline for both Sandy and Danny and you see how much I guess Danny really cares about his reputation and his appearance with his friends that right away becomes quite obvious
0: he has an image to uphold as a leader of a greaser gang Exactly exactly it's unfair to Sandy but again he doesn't think that they're ever going to learn the truth because he thinks that she went back to Australia but there there are some lines in the song where you can genuinely tell that he cared about her like she was different from the other girls that he has been with or perhaps spent summer nights with because at the end the song slows down Mm -hmm. and he says like oh we'll still be friends and then he says like I wonder what she's doing now and it's actually kind of sweet because you know you don't you don't wonder about people you don't care about it's very true very true.
1: And I think you're absolutely right. Like the music right there, the fact that it slows down, it gets softer, and they both kind of walk away from everyone else. And I feel like at that moment, we really are seeing more of the true Danny than the greaser Danny, if you will.
0: Yeah, like he he actually has a chance to like, literally and figuratively step away from the majority and like step away from what he's supposed to be, quote unquote, And that's when he gets really honest with himself. And he's like, he realizes, like, yeah, like, under all of this, there really was a girl. And I do kind of miss her. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they do in the song, and it's this great... You know, double frame with both of them singing the ending notes. And then, of course, as soon as the song ends, everyone goes back to what they were doing. And Rizzo, the skeptical, you know, like he didn't lay a hand on you and uh, sounds like a creep. Or if you've read the original one, it says, sounds like a fairy, another word for um, being gay. <laughs> or, uh, you know, what was the other line? Sounds like a cr- there's three of them. Sounds like a creep, sounds like fairy, and.
0: Like I said, I don't know which script was I didn't read really it. Yeah.
1: There's so many guys and they've changed the line for a lot of them. So just for reference, if I say original, I'm talking about the nineteen seventy-one to nineteen seventy-two era before it even got
0: to like the Chicago one.
1: Yeah, Chicago. Um, and of course, you know, Sandy defends that. She's like, he was a gentleman. And then they're like, Oh, what was his name? And she says, Danny, Danny Zuko. And of course they know that name. <laughs> And Rizzo immediately goes in, you know, well, I think he sounds peachy keen.
0: It is so funny to see Rizzo transform. I love the way she, like her face drops when Sandy says Danny Zuko. And then instantly, Jan and Marty start laughing and she whacks them really hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she's like, well. I think he sounds peachy keen. and Well, maybe if you believe in miracles, Prince Charming will show up again someday with somewhere a unexpected.
1: Fake smile and just so dripping and like she knows exactly what she's about to do.
0: And it's like, how gullible is Sandy that she didn't see Any right that. through that? Like Rizzo obviously knew something and was giving it away on her face. And Sandy was like, you really think so, Frenchie? And I'm like, girl, even dumb book. Yeah. Like, Rizzo, oh, she knew. She was already calculating.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. She was already. And I feel like she did it more to hurt Danny because she knew it would. Because if based on the song, everything was true, he actually really cared about her.
0: Rizzo, it, like... Maybe, maybe Sandy saw a side of Danny that even Rizzo didn't know yeah. or that Rizzo got a glimpse of and then not at all. Like, But I think Rizzo finds it amusing that Danny Zuko, leader of the T-Birds, greaser gang, you know, tough guy, super cool, was frolicking on the beach with an Australian blonde future cheerleader like i think rizzo got a kick out of that and i think i don't think that it was necessarily malicious but i do think there was a little bit of selfishness in there
1: i can agree with that yeah
0: yeah uh so it's a it's a great song
1: that we see more of our characterization coming out um in writing they did do um a couple of background lyrics that um i guess basically paid homage or- took lyrics or paid tribute to songs that were pretty popular back in that time. They were actually songs that were written like in the 60s. so They didn't really match the '58 year, um, but it was the Da Du Ran Ran by The Crystals, Breaking Up Is Hard To Do by Neil Sedaka, and Papa Oom um Mau Mau by The Rivingtons. Um, and the parts that we hear that take these lyrics are like those um, background parts that they're like um shoe boobop boobop like that type of thing those are directly taken from those songs i hope that makes sense and this song did go on to reach number five on the u.s Billboard hot 100 and it spent two weeks at the number three on cashbox top 100 um it was actually even bigger in the uk and it spent seven weeks at number one um it did have an earlier like nine week run from a different song that I'm going to cover from this, and it was like a smash-up of those two songs. Um, in 2004, the song was charted at number 70 in AFI's 100 Years of the Top 100 Songs survey of the top tunes in America's cinema. And in 2010, Billboard ranked it at number 9 of their Best Summer Songs of All Time list. And it is a part of that uh, Megamix like I was talking about. Um, it's called The Grease Megamix, and it's got You're the One That I Want, Grease Lightning, and Summer Night all into that song. There are several, several, several cover versions of this song. Um, it has been covered in Spanish by um, Angelica Maria in 1979 for the Vasalina cover of Grease. I love that it's called that. Um, it's been covered by uh, 14 Ice Bears, Less Than Jake, Glee did a whole Glee version, so all of the songs were covered in there, Korea Dream High 2, uh, Jimmy Fallon's cast did it with Saturday Night Live, Jimmy and Tina Fey were um, Danny and Sandy respectively, it would have been fun to see them the other way around. <laughs> um it is in a video game as well as in um Nissan commercials for the Altima Frontier and the Rogue. Um it was also in a Twizzler's commercial and it was on the a uh, couple TV shows Parks and Rec and The Flash. Um, in the live version, it was covered by them as well. And I'm not, I don't, I don't have to do that each time. Do I guys?
0: No, we get it. They covered the whole fucking soundtrack for that really bad crease live version. <laughs>
1: okay. I just want to make sure that yes. So yeah, it's been covered a lot. Um, and it has done well in all of those different covers. Um, and we're talking like worldwide success, not just U.S.
0: And in addition to those amazing covers, we do have to, of course, acknowledge every single fucking person who has sang this with someone at karaoke. Me.
1: It's me. It's me. <laughs> and I did forget one of my actual favorite is um, the instrumental version. I, it's called Twinkle Twinkle Little Rockstar. It's on YouTube.
0: You should listen to it. Super cute if you have kids. It will be on the blog.
1: And then from here, like I said, uh, so we know that Rizzo knows what's up. And we walk away um, from here and we are on our way to our pep rally. But I love before they go, like you said, Sandy, so oblivious, looks at Frenchie's like, You really think so, Frenchie? And she's like, Sure. We got to get to class. Mm-hmm.
0: Like she doesn't have the heart <laughs> to tell her, like, actually. No. <laughs> so, yeah, it's one of those see and find out kind of things
1: yes and then we are at that awesome pep rally scene we um get sandy who obviously made the cheerleading team um and the greaser i'm sorry the greasers my dad the t-birds and the pink ladies are both in attendance and of course we see the t-birds be they're making fun of the chair coming over their own chair paying homage to uh, the three stooges and the pink ladies who are so cool are sitting around waiting for Sandy to be done and to start drama. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Okay, I have some questions about this part. Yes. So, um, when I first watched this movie, I thought that the pep rally was a few weeks into school, but again, I, I, upon like watching it as an adult, you hear McGee clearly say that Saturday after the first day of school is the bonfire pep rally. Part of the reason why I'm pointing that out is because the timeline of this movie confuses me. So I just wanted to make sure that we know that Sandy and Danny get reunited the first week of school. Yeah. And so another question I had, why are the T-Birds at a pep rally? That was my question, but I'm wondering if
1: they knew or maybe they heard that the Scorpions were going to try to come around and maybe they feel like they – maybe they go to things not out of, like, school pride but out of, like, prep for when they are going to um, encounter the Scorpions, like the rivals, you know, because it's it's on their turf.
0: I, get, I can see that, but then when they do show up, instead of Sunny saying – oh, they showed up just like we thought they would. He says, what are scorpions doing here? This ain't their turf. And I get that they need to explain to the audience who the scorpions are. Mm -hmm. But if they were there for the sake of waiting to see if the scorpions showed up, that wasn't the right line to convey it.
1: I don't know if all of them knew that. Again, it was just a speculation. To me, it's more of like, they don't necessarily have school pride, obviously. but kind of like bodyguards, if you will. And then also they knew the pink ladies were going to be there. Okay. Like that's, that's their pack, you know? Right, right. They
0: are the counterparts.
1: Right. They may not sit there with them. They may not stand by them, but they certainly are going
0: to like see them after, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe they are being there as like a sort of, protection of rydell and the pink ladies because technically the pink ladies are Possibly. yeah yeah so that i can see but then my other question is they all leave in Kanicki's car which none of them knew he had so did they walk to the pep rally yeah it seems like it that's how i always took that okay because i wrote i wrote my grease Two blog like did they willingly walk to a school event or did their mommies drop them off i had to but because when they're leaning on those cars you kind of think like oh those are their cars but they're clearly not because danny is driving a different car later Uh, and kaniki shows up with what will be greased lightning um and they're just like what the fuck is this (laughs) yeah a hunk of junk. <laughs> I love it though he, he drives up he's so proud of it he's like oh wait, wait till I soup up the engine give her a paint job she's gonna run like a champ Yeah. racing her at thunder, thunder road. road I love
1: it I love it but yeah that was they, I mean there are some questions because you know definitely like they they don't seem like the school spirit type again that's why they make fun of Danny when he gets his letterman you know they're just they were watching at lunch like all the football players making fun of them you know it it doesn't fit their style or their scene but I definitely think it has to do with either the pink ladies or knowing that they're doing something after you know what I mean like maybe they're not there for the pep rally but like the
0: after party if you will like what we would call an after party but then you know doing whatever
1: Whatever they do, right? Okay.
0: No, yeah. Now, now that you're explaining it that way, that actually makes perfect sense. Like, it didn't really occur to me that they even knew that each other would be there, um, because I don't know. Like, just with the way they walk up, like Rizzo's just like, "Oh, I got a surprise for you," and um, I, I, I didn't get the sense that they knew that they were gonna be there.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but
0: now that like you're adding that context. It can go that way, too. Like, yeah, Yeah. that totally makes sense. A woman doesn't need a man to protect her necessarily, but I can see why that was kind of more so the underlying message at the time. Right, right. And you perfectly segued into our next part, yeah. Yeah, because this is where we have a little reunion. And may I say, the first few times that I rewatched this movie, this scene really made me mad. And then the two most recent times I watched it, which was, like, two days ago, they actually made me cry. <laughs> Aww. Because Danny is such a dick. Like, he's so mean. And it's just because his friends are there, because he knows that people are watching. Like, and he knows that he lied about her. Yep. And now it's like hitting him in the face and he doesn't want to risk humiliating himself so he humiliates Sandy instead. And he is so rude to point that this is where I do feel like
1: part of it was a little malicious on Riz's part only because he looks sad and upset when Dandy throws her pom poms down and walks away. You know, you're fake and a phony, and I wish I never laid eyes on you. Riz smiles the whole time, like she knew, she knew this was the Danny that was going to come out.
0: Honestly, for a long time, I didn't really know what to make of Rizzo's smile, um, because when she walks up to Danny at first, she's she's smiling because she thinks she's going to get a kick out of this. And then as Danny and Sandy are talking, Rizzo, like, her smile drops. Mm -hmm. And she's, like, serious. And she's really watching what's going on. Danny's such an asshole because he's like, oh, I thought you were going back to Australia. And she's like, no, we had to change a plan. And she's so excited to see him. And he's really surprised to see her. His voice even changes. And then his friends are looking at him like, um... And then that's when he, like, cools off and he loosens up. And he's like, yeah, I get it. That's and cool, baby. Yeah, and she's like, uh, what's the matter with you? And he's like, what's the matter with you? And she's like, well, what happened to the Danny Zuko I met at the beach? And he's like, he's laughing at her. Like, he's laughing mm-hmm. in her face. And his friends are laughing at her. And he's just like, well, I do not know. I mean, maybe there's two of us or... Why don't you take out a missing persons ad or try the Yellow Pages? I don't know. And he's like trying to keep his cool and keep up his image. And it just breaks her heart. And when you think about what that would feel like from Sandy's point of view, like you're new to this country. You're new to this school. You met this one guy that you really started to like and trust. You happen to get reunited when you don't think you're going to see each other again. And all he cares about is what his friends think. Dude, it is so fucked. Like, there should not be a movie after this part. That should be the end. Sandy said bye. <laughs> and that was it. Like Danny yes. said bye. Danny Zuko is a fucking asshole. Yeah, this scene really upset me after watching it again and again. I, I just felt worse and worse for Sandy. And, and how, many, how many of us can experience meeting someone who ended up being not what we thought they were?
1: Oh, 100%. Every single one
0: of us. Ugh, whatever. And so, yeah, so she runs off. And Rizzo kind of gives this smile. And maybe she... Because obviously, like, Danny has to presume that Sandy told them the story about the boy at the beach. So maybe it was Rizzo smiling at Danny because it's like, oh, you were frolicking on the beach with her. How cute. Like, yeah, I know that's – I heard about that side of you now. Or, like, maybe she's smiling at him because, like, yeah, I knew you were vulnerable or something like that. Like, I, it's hard to say which is the real Danny because it does seem like he's himself with Sandy and the T-bird thing is just an image. It's just a character. Yeah. That makes sense too. Rizzo may have had a sense of like she knew there was more to him and Sandy brought it out of him and she's just like, yeah, Sandy proved my point. Like there are different ways that I think Rizzo's reaction to all this can be taken and I'm not really sure if there's a wrong answer, but obviously the history between Danny and Rizzo I think comes into play with the way she looks at him.
1: I agree with you. And, um, you know, she's really upset. And like you said, Frenchie goes and rescues her and tells her, like, hey, come, we're having a sleepover at my house, you know, just come hang out at night with the girls. And Sandy goes. Um, and, you know, she's still getting to know the other girls, and they're all very close. Um, and Sandy, even the way she's, like, sitting and dressed, again, is very different than the rest of the girls you know like they're in like underwear and t-shirts um they all have their hair up in like nets um you know their pajamas if they are in pajamas are not like these fancy gowns like she's wearing you know mm-hmm. and uh so they are hanging out at Frenchie's house and of course they start pulling out the alcohol and cigarettes and everything and um you know they they offer to Sandy but she politely says no and of course they're like you know oh I bet you've never smoked I bet you've never had alcohol she's like oh no I've had champagne um and they make her smoke and Rizzo of course um you know oh I forgot to tell you you shouldn't inhale if you never smoked before you know just like some of the one-liners you know um and Frenchie is trying to convince Sandy to let her pierce her ears, she takes Margie's virginity pin to do it, and um, she hurts Sandy and tells her to go into the bathroom, and of course, you know, having taken one sip of alcohol and smoked, I guess it counts as smoking, I don't know, taking a puff of a cigarette, Sandy is throwing up and sick, and Rizzo's had just about enough of her purity And we get the amazing song sung by Rizzo, Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. D. This song is definitely poking fun at Sandy and her, you know, purest ways. Rizzo puts on one of Frenchie's blonde wigs she has laying around and starts talking about Sandy and her song about I can't go to bed with someone until I'm legally married Um, I'm not brought up that way. I don't drink. I don't swear. I get ill from one cigarette and this song is Definitely definitely I think super iconic just because of all of the references to um, people who were famous during that time In the stage version, they actually had a reference to Sal Mineo who is um, best known for Rebel Without a Cause, but he was stabbed to death like right before the movie was filming. So they took that out and changed it to Elvis. And as they are singing that song, like Rizzo's looking at a picture of Elvis and saying like, keep that pelvis far from me. And he actually like died that same day that they were filming that
0: scene. Which, which was is so crazy to think about. Right? And so imagine, like, how the energy would have shifted on a movie set where, you know, the soundtrack is straight up rock and roll and all these references to Elvis, like, even in the opening credits and in the song and, and the hair is very much modeled after, like, what Elvis is, was styled, like, like, his influence on Greece was so stamped in. How does it feel to hear about something like that while you're filming and singing about that person? Exactly. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. But
1: yeah, so, uh, and there's references to Annette, again, Funicello, um, Doris Day, Troy Donahue, Rock Hudson, um, and these were all the original from the um, 1971 stage version. Um, And the Elvis wasn't changed until right before the filming of this, though, because they didn't want to keep Sal in there. Because he was stabbed right before the movie was filmed. And so they decided to change it to Elvis. And then he dies. Crazy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Absolutely crazy. Um, And so as Rizzo is finishing up this song. And all the girls are joined in now. And, you know, making fun. uh, Sandy walks out. And, are you making fun of me, Riz? Rizzo, some people are so touchy. Uh, She pulls off her wig. And... um, it's just, it's a funny scene. It's a funny scene. <laughs> Definitely one of my favorite scenes because I love just seeing like all the girls and they're, you know, not dolled up, just their regular clothes, hanging out, eating Twinkies and drinking wine. <laughs> um, this is one of the songs that was in the original. Um, it was changed a little bit for Broadway. Um, the first live performance was by Sue Williams in January thirty uh, first nineteen seventy one. And there have been a couple cover versions, typically only people who have played Sandra D. Um, but less than Jake did cover it, and a group called Ugly Mustard as well as Sarah Whatmore, and then of course, Glee from their Gleese. Um, And then this one is also covered under the Twinkle Twinkle Little Rock star, which is absolutely awesome. Some of the words were changed for, like, the television airings or the remakes of the, I believe, the 20th anniversary version. Um, they took off, you know, how Rizzo sings or says something that's like, fangu Yeah, isn't it Italian for fuck you? Yeah, so they took it out. So that's one of the changes that was made. Um, but, of course, that was very, you know, normal language when jim and warren wrote the original so yeah and
0: then from here we get those boys have showed back up at frenchies yes yeah, so um the five t-birds who have uh stolen sandy's pom-poms and jumped into what will be grease lightning kaniki's little rink-a-dink white car uh they drive up to frenchie's house and they pull into her driveway And the T-Birds are singing really loudly and drunk and Kanicki just tells them to shut up. And immediately, as soon as they park the car, Danny says, I changed my mind. Let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what do you mean? And he starts kind of arguing with them. And I really like this part because this really makes me appreciate Kanicki. Because if you watch Kanicki, like he's such a good friend to Danny throughout the entire film. Oh God, yeah. Because you got to think like, They show up to Frenchie's house, which means Danny had to have told Kaniki, like, hey, I really want to go talk to Sandy. I know she's at Frenchie's. Can we stop by? Like, I think about the conversation that had to have taken place. And Kaniki, of course, said yes, of course, because he's going to do anything for Danny. And so as soon as they arrive, Danny changes his mind. And you can tell that Kaniki is a little annoyed, but he's not so annoyed that it, like, ruins his mood. Like that's still his best friend. Um, he does look a little frustrated, but it's just like whatever. And then when Putsy starts to like call out (laughs) to Sandy really loud, Kanicki is the one who grabs him by the shirt and yanks him back down into the car and tells him to shut up. And so like it's really sweet to see like how Kanicki like really honors Danny's wishes. Like whatever Danny wants to do, Kanicki's gonna go with it and vice versa. Um, and so I just I love Kaniki, and I thought that this was kind of sweet because, again, you do you do get the feeling that, like, after Sandy ran off, Danny felt bad. Yeah, definitely. Like he felt bad about the way he acted. Like, he walked away from them, and they were like, come on, let's go. I got the car. And Danny looks over to watch to see where she went. Like, he's he right. feels bad.
1: Which kind of makes you think that, okay, maybe at that point, Danny had to have said something to them like about the truth, maybe not the whole truth, but like, Hey, I like her, you know, and I'm an asshole because I mean, as the movie progresses, like as a friend, how do you not question, you know, if, if you and I were in that scene and I saw you treat someone like that, and then all of a sudden you are dating them, I would, I would
0: be confused. Right. So he had to have explained, no, you're right. You're right. And And that's another thing that kind of makes me, like, uh, this plot frustrates me because obviously soon after all of this, after he becomes a jock, him and Sandy are dating and his friends don't really seem to mind. So, like, what does it matter if she's, like, a cheerleader and you're a greaser? Like, it doesn't really seem to bother anyone. And you're the leader of the T-Birds, can't you change the rules? Right, right. Their dilemma is just so... I, it's just so wrapped up in Danny has this image and he thinks he has to have this image. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the T-Birds, obviously, like, I think he had, yeah, you're right. He had to have filled them in with at least some of the truth, a little more of the truth than he told before. Right, right. And then this is when Rizzo goes down to meet them. This scene is a little
1: awkward for me because we get a little bit more of that, like, and not a backstory. Like you said, like, we're missing a lot of backstory between Danny and Riz. But I always get confused by she's like, what's say, Zook? And he's like, you're looking good. And, you know, sloppy seconds ain't my style, like this whole line. Um, and she looks obviously like irritated with some of his responses. Oh, yeah, she's pissed.
0: Like, right? Now I'm starting to kind of see how you were saying about maybe there was a little bit of maliciousness to what she did because I don't know what kind of response she was expecting from Danny when she says, eat your heart out. Because she said they're ancient history, so I don't see why she would even care what he thinks what she looks like. Right. I do love when he says, well, sloppy seconds ain't my style, because mm. you know how you will always take quotes from movies and integrate them into your life? Of course. <laughs> Whenever I find out that someone is dating an ex of mine, I'll just be like, oh, go ahead, you can have my sloppy seconds. <laughs> And that's just how I use it and I know I've texted it to you before I'm like why is she always getting my sloppy you seconds? absolutely have yes a hundred percent so that's I know the context is a little different but the way I see it is just like oh well I don't need that I don't I don't go back for seconds
1: exactly and I love that he says that and then he walks away he says it's you know better than hanging around with you dorks and um then we see Sandy you know still kind of I mean, obviously still upset. She doesn't know what she saw on Danny, and rightfully so.
0: Rizzo is leaving with Kinnicky. Uh He kicks the T-Birds out of the car. And then Marty is writing to her boyfriend, who is a Marine.
1: Mm-hmm, Yeah. So this is
0: what – you were alluding to this about how Marty and Sunny are kind of a weird couple, right? Yes, this is what my whole – because, I mean, then she pulls out her whole thing. And it's like, okay, is she really a boyfriend? Is she
1: just a pen pal? Is it a friend with writing benefits? Because it's obvious that Sunny has feelings for her or wants something to be there.
0: And uh, yes, I agree. Like Sunny, obviously, I think he feels more strongly for her than she really cares for him. Uh, We really don't see them together a lot. And when we do see them together, they're kind of at odds. You're
1: right, you're right.
0: So I would have liked to have them... Fleshed out a little more. I would have liked to see, because obviously they do end up together. I would have liked to see Marty come around on Sunny. At the end, it just kind of feels like she ended up with him because all the other boys were taken. Mm. But one thing that I will say, and I know I keep bringing up Grease 2, but I bring it up because of the T Bird and Pink Lady groups. Um, in Grease 2, it makes it a little more clear that the Pink Ladies are technically T Bird property. And so they are supposed to be paired up. There is a code where they are kind of required to couple up at least until they graduate, and so that just makes me wonder, like, uh, because Marty very clearly dates outside of the T-Birds, and she's very open about this. She uh, she openly follows Vince Fontaine around instead of dancing with Sunny. Right. That makes me wonder if in Greece two, somewhere between Greece one and Greece two, which takes place two years later they they changed the code so that Pink Ladies couldn't do that. And that's why it's such a plot point in Grease 2. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Uh, because the code between the Pink Lady and T-Birds, like that relationship between the groups, that comes into play a lot more in the sequel. And so that makes me wonder, like, why it changed. Because it really wasn't like that in Part 1.
1: That makes sense. And I'm wondering if you're right. Like, maybe... um. Maybe it was kind of more an open thing, like where Marty was allowed to, because she, I mean, realistically, she can't date someone who's a Marine overseas. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think maybe it was just something fun for her to do. I think she liked to be adored. Right, 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 right. I can definitely see that about her. And then we don't get a whole lot of context about it, but he does, in the play, it's a lot more evident that the guy sends her really lavish gifts and she likes it
1: yes yes she is well taken care of
0: um
1: and there is more than one of them though yeah that's right she's got a whole wallet (laughs) yeah because she (laughs) tells me she's like don't sweat it honey have one of mine and that's always been one of my favorite lines um and before we get into your song though there is a line from the movie that I never hear it is in the script. And so I don't know if they took it out, but it would make so much more sense with the song title that comes up. And it's when, you know, Sandy asks, like, well, how do you keep up with them? And she's like, I'm an excellent pen pal. Do you hear her say anything after that? Yeah. Why do I never hear this? Because she kind of mumbles it. Okay. So then maybe that's why I'm not. But then Cause... on my, I, you know, I watch it with subtitles. Yeah. So are my subtitles just not there? Because I promise you that all the times that I've watched it since researching, my subtitles don't show that. But you hear her say it, don't you? The I'm hopelessly devoted to everyone? Yeah. No, I've never heard her say that.
0: I have always heard her say that.
1: Never. And that is why I was like, well, that makes so much more sense with the song. It took all this time for me to realize that that's what she was saying.
0: Yeah. And I remember thinking that was really random because of all the pink ladies, Marty and Sandy really don't connect. Uh, And so this is like that one moment where she actually really talks to her. And I remember like when I would watch this with my sister, my sister realized it when when she rewatched it with me, like she heard it for the first time and she had never really paid attention to it before. She's like, hey, she just said the title of the song. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's... and
1: I don't know if I would wasn't listening. I was paying more attention to her sprinkling the papers with perfume or whatnot. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I promise you, like I'm on this entire week and like last week as I'm watching the movie over and over again, unless I just happen to blink every single time that line comes up, which is not totally impossible, guys. I have never seen that subtitle and that makes me so upset because I feel like I've gone my whole life without realizing that she... Totally alluded to the song that is
0: so bizarre. That's like a um mandala effect, right? Did you somehow have a tape that didn't dub that in? Or it
1: has to be, it has to be because I mean, I was originally watching the VHS, then I switched to the DVD because I wanted to watch the extra features on there. And I mean, the reason for that not being there, I don't know again, maybe I blinked, maybe I didn't catch it. But in looking at all the scripts, like, I was like, oh, my God, yeah.
0: That is so bizarre. I'm so fascinated. Now I want to watch it next to you and see if I hear it because I'm like, yes. how can you not hear it? Like, she, she does mutter it a little, but you can, you know, it, otherwise it would just be a lingering shot on them for no reason um right so yeah okay okay so then yeah so she does give her this idea for this song because sandy realizes that like well the only person she's really hopelessly devoted to is actually danny zuko i wasn't originally going to pick this song but i do know that a very special lady named janelle loves this song and she is a beast at it at karaoke so i thought i'd include it for her so this one's for you, Hopelessly Devoted to You by Olivia Newton-John. And so Sandy goes out into Frenchie's backyard and she starts singing about how she realizes like, I know that heartbreak isn't new to anyone she basically sings about how she knows that it's kind of foolish that she is pining for him even though he was a jerk to her. Um, She says that she feels like she's just gonna wait around for him to maybe come around because she's still in love with him. She's in love with that boy that she met at the beach and... You know, I think she still sees him as that. And, you know, she has this idea of him in her head, which I think we can all relate to. Of course. When we really like someone. Um, And, you know, she knows, like, her head is telling her that she really needs to leave this guy behind. But, of course, her heart is telling her something different because they never match. (laughs) And her heart just tells her, like, no, like, hold on to him. And that's what she says she's going to do because she is completely and utterly hopelessly devoted to Danny. And it's a really sweet song. It's sad. You really hear Olivia Newton-John's like kind of country cadence when she comes out and sings. You do it's this one,
1: even the um the musical instrument it uses a slide which is a very like country Western guitar and it's very evident in the style.
0: Olivia Newton-John, of course, uh, otherwise known as Dame Olivia Newton-John is a British Australian singer. Before Greece, she did do that movie that performed really badly and it made her reluctant to act, which is why she did ask for the screen test. and so. When she signed on to do the film, it was stated specifically in her contract that she would get a solo song. And so her producer, John Farrar, he actually managed to write this song and You're the One That I Want for her character. And Olivia immediately loved this song. And so production did eventually have to approve of it. So Greece as a film was actually already done filming by the time that they recorded Hopelessly Devoted to You and they filmed her scene after everything else was done filming. The only Oscar nomination that Greece received was for this song. And it hit number one in Belgium, Canada, Ireland, and the Netherlands. Of course, it's been covered by multiple people. Some notable ones include Less Than Jake, Kristen Chenoweth, and the cast of Glee. Some quick info about Olivia Newton-John. In 1962, at the age of 14, she formed an all-girl group called Soul 4, and she went on to uh, meet her duet partner, Pat Carroll, and the man who would become her producer and the writer of this song, John Farrar. She recorded her first single in 1966 called Till You Say You'll Be Mine, Pat and Olivia, as a duo, toured nightclubs in Europe, and Pat's visa eventually expired, so she went back to Australia. But Olivia stayed in Britain, and she became a solo artist. And it was in 1970 when the group Tomorrow recruited her to make the film Tomorrow that would end up being a total flop. And so Mm. she went on to kind of delve into the country genre Which she got a little bit of flack for because she was a British-Australian female singing country songs. And I just think that sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Like, she can't help that she has that sound when she sings. Like, I always kind of considered Hopelessly Devoted to you to kind of have a country twang to it because of her Oh, it absolutely does. She uh, is known for songs such as I Honestly Love You and Have You Ever Been Mellow. And then Grease blew up. Uh, This movie really was like her mark in pop culture. You think Olivia Newton-John, you think of Sandy and Grease. You have an exact image of who she is and the music and the songs she sang. Um, so she eventually did sue Universal Music Group in June of 2006. They are the ones who handled the Grease soundtrack. She claimed $1 million in unpaid royalties, and they eventually reached mm-hmm. a settlement. I've heard that that has
1: been the case for even, like, Jim. Like, he stated several times that he has never seen royalties or anything from all of the Grease merchandise and all this other stuff from all the years that have passed.
0: And I don't really know how that works, because... I don't know what all Alan Carr purchased when he bought the rights. Like, I don't know how extensive the rights were. Like, maybe it was a really funny worded contract that was signed. Uh, Maybe he didn't. Like, it's it's so many different things that it could be. Um, But that is unfortunate because if you look at Spotify and see how many plays these songs have, it's in the millions. Mm -hmm. All of them. All of them. And I know because I had to compare them for my Grease 2 blog. <laughs> <laughs> the Grease 2 soundtrack right? songs barely hit a million. Cool Rider has like eight million. So, yeah, like, Grease's numbers on soundtrack hits is insanity. So, that's crazy that he has never seen anything. And that's really sad. Yeah. And I know one more thing kind of off topic about Olivia before you move on.
1: Um Her daughter, Chloe, I... Like, obviously loved Reese hadn't heard anything from Olivia for quite some time. Um, MTV came out with a show called Rock the Cradle, which had, um, like, famous singers and um, songwriters and uh, rappers. Their children went on to see if they could, like, you know, regain their legacy and, you know, sing just like their parents. Her daughter did a version of um, I Hate Everything About You that I hate, and I would love for you to find it. (laughs) Okay. Yes. I know it's kind of totally random, but, yeah, her mom sings beautifully. Her daughter does not, in my opinion. Well,
0: that happens.
1: But I feel like that's really hard also when you are like, you know, oh, well, your mom sings at this range, and then you're constantly compared. So I know it's not fair, but I also don't think that just because your parent is a singer automatically means
0: that you are a singer. Yeah. You're right, you're right. Oh, I'm interested to hear this cover now. I didn't know that. So I will see what I can find. Couple more things. Um so after Greece did blow up, her musician persona as Olivia Unjan also kind of underwent a makeover. Um, she kind of uh, branched out a little bit as far as her style and her, she, she just had a more of an alluring presence as a musician. Then she did Xanadu, which was also terrible. And then she reunited with John Travolta in 1983 for Two of a Kind. And that was also terrible. There's a reason you only hear about Greece. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think most people know that she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1992 And it did come back in 2013 and 2018. But she is an advocate for plant medicine. And she says that her husband grows cannabis for her. Yes, and her daughter actually owns a cannabis farm. That is really cool. So it's good that she's putting good out into the world. And I know that she, um, didn't she start a foundation or something for breast cancer? Yes, I think you are correct she took her pain and she made it to something good and she's doing good things with it and helping people. So,
1: um,
0: and as far as I know, she says she feels great and, um, you she know, looks great. she's, Oh yeah. She always looks great. She's still awesome and iconic and she still, she thinks very highly. She still speaks very highly of her experience on Greece. So that's good.
1: Yes, that's good. I'm so glad she holds that so dearly after we get hopelessly devoted to you. We are in the car with Rizzo and Kiniki. They kick the other three out because this isn't gangbang, kind of movie. You wish. And, uh, so they go out to like Make Out Point. Uh, do I even know the name of that? That's what it's called, right? Uh, like Make Out Point, Lover's Lane, that kind of spot. Like a universal known fact, right?
0: Yeah, like a dark corner where the teens can go touch each other. Right,
1: right. So we see them. Uh, we see lots of cars hitting around. They're kissing. And uh, he's like, Riz, Riz, she's like, can you call me by my first name? And he's like, uh, uh. <laughs> she's like, Betty, Betty, Betty. And then uh, they're like, hey, you got something? Alluding to, like, okay, things are getting heavier. And uh, he pulls out a broken condom. Apparently, he's had since the seventh grade, so that's,
0: you know, a couple years. Does it... So, does that basically mean, like, it folded and it just, like, shat? Like, he says it broke.
1: I feel like that means that it uh probably... I mean, I would think it, like, disintegrated. Got it. Over the years. You're um, right, because they do expire. Right, right, right. So, my question posed then is like we we assume that uh you know Kaniki is experienced but when he says that he bought the condom back when he was in the seventh grade that always made me wonder like is he actually a virgin who just appears like he's not or does he not use protection with any of the girls that he slept with
0: that is a good question honestly now that you're bringing it up (laughs) Maybe he is a virgin, but he definitely doesn't carry himself that way. I don't think the T-Birds know he's a virgin if he is. Right. Because, I mean, the only ones who we know for sure are, I mean, I'm assuming, like,
1: Duty and No? No, just... I don't
0: know. I've never actually thought about (laughs) which ones of them, which one of them actually have, like, gotten late before. I
1: think Putsy is the only one who we know is a virgin because, remember, he says, like,
0: what are you mm-hmm. supposed to
1: do with them the rest of the 15, 23 15, hours and 40 Is that all it takes?
0: 15 minutes? Right, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Oh, I definitely think that Putzi was a version until they started talking about apple pie. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course.
1: So I just, I've always thought that. I not know, segue, sorry, you know, whatever.
0: No, no, that's a good question. I really hadn't given it much thought it's just kind of a funny bit where his condom breaks (laughs) like at the worst moment and it ends up becoming a really big deal in the story
1: it does yes so we know we both see them kind of pause and then they're like oh what the hell and so they keep going on and progressing and then freaking crater face backs into his car and he's like You're in a no parking zone. He's like, the whole place is a no parking zone. And then he messes up the car. And it's obviously not as nice as Craterface's, you know, scorpion leader. And he's like, I'll tell you what. I'll give you 75 cents for your car, including your chick. And Rizzo's just like, what? And Nikki gets really upset and tries to throw whatever he can at them. But we see Craterface drive off with Cha-Cha. As they're laughing and uh, we are assuming that they are going to continue with what they uh, first started because then the scene changes and we're back in the shop working on the car.
0: Yes, and so like the T-Birds are giving Kaniki shit because he's got this fucking hoopty of a car. They don't really see much promise in it really, but Danny sees the car in a completely different way. And he's like – he starts calling them out. he's like, well, what do you drive? Where's your car? Yeah. And, I mean, that's a very valid point. Like, you know, they don't really have a leg to stand on in that sense. Is that an old-fashioned saying? Should I take that out? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, do I sound old? I
1: think it's fine. I think it's fine.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, like, they're they're just giving him shit, but they really don't have room to talk. Like, okay, well, he has a car. He made money to get the car.
1: Right, right. And he's working on fixing it, you know what I mean? Like it's a fixer upper, which I personally think takes more pride. And you just feel a certain way about something that you know that you invested time and effort into.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that uh, a car that is bought for us or that a car that was already just the way we wanted it when we got it versus a car that we build from the ground up and get just the way we like. Like, yeah, like I th- I would say, like, because not only is it like something that you own, but it's kind of something that you created. Yeah,
1: yeah. Especially when you take it from where it is, like where they say, like the whole thing is a dent. The whole rubber, the engine is made out of rubber bands. You know what I mean? Like they're talking, you know, mad crap about it, but he's really going to turn it into something totally different. Like he's seeing that in picture which I also think, and I know this is going to get really deep, is kind of what we're seeing with Danny and Sandy, as well as Keniki, because we see him change also, like in the situation that him and Rizzo get into, um, which I wish would be more of a continuance in the second one, but I can't really speak on that because I haven't seen it in
0: like 20 years. And after Danny's little speech, he goes into Grease Lightning, which is our honorable mention.
1: Yes, and it's a great song, but definitely just um, not one that we wanted to cover this time, but we'll put it on the uh, Spotify list for sure. Um, there were a couple of fun facts that I know we both found. One was that originally in the um, play, 1971, and in Broadway, the song was actually sang by Knicky's character, but Danny insisted, or a.k.a. John Travolta, diva, that he is, mm-hmm. insisted
0: that he sing this song. Um, and he pushed pretty hard for it based on the research that I found. That's what I heard, too. Um, It always kind of annoyed me that he sings this instead of Kenickie because it didn't make any sense. Right! It's Kanicki's car! Thank you! It's not Danny's car! And... The car that they drive off at the end is Danny's car. And we never saw him soup that up or work on uh-huh. it. He only worked on Kanicki's. And so, yeah, I found the same thing that you did. And Travolta straight up admitted, like, I wanted the song. I knew I could get it. So I got the song. Oh, it, it is kind of a shitty justification for it. And Jeff Conaway was apparently not happy about it at first. And so apparently... Knicky, as well as some members of the cast and choreographer Pat Birch, they were not happy about the switch. They thought that Jeff Conway really deserved to keep that solo. Right, because, I mean, if you look at it from his point of view, he already had the
1: experience playing Danny on Broadway, right? So he already Mm -hmm. kind of, if you will, dropped down to a lesser role. Not that Kanicki is lesser, but you know what I mean, in terms of like not being on the movie poster, not being the the main star, if you will. And then to have your solo song
0: stripped from you just because John Travolta wants it. Mm -hmm. And I heard that another reason why John Travolta wanted it was because he knew that Olivia Newton-John had gotten those two songs written into the movie. And so he wanted two songs. And so he got Grease Lightning and Sandy. Yes, I, I heard the same thing. Basically, he wanted to make sure that he wasn't upstage. And
1: it did cause some tension on the set because like you said, not everyone agreed with that change and not everyone was happy about it. Um, I mm-hmm. also heard through one of the interviews that I watched um, on YouTube that I'll make sure Misa puts on the blog that John was a little bit jealous And was worried that if Conaway did get it, he would do so well with that one song that it would completely outshine Danny's character completely.
0: Uh, Travolta is such a glory hog. Like, it is, uh, it is so, ugh. And then, okay, so a couple other things that I learned about Grease Lightning during the choreography of it, while they're all jumping on the car and they're in that alternate reality Jeff Conway did get injured. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've heard two different stories, so maybe you can help me clarify which which one was right. Because uh, a lot of the sources say that he tripped and fell or slipped and fell, and he hurt his back really bad. But then I had originally heard, and then I saw a quote from Jeff Conway as well, where he said that a stuntman or one of the dancers like dropped him and it yes. hurt his back. That is accurate. The latter is
1: accurate. Um it was a dancer, and they dropped him during one of the takes. And this unfortunately led to some serious
0: painkiller addiction for him. This started his whole addiction problems, and it eventually killed him. Yes, and it's just, and that's another thing that really pisses me off about Travolta getting the number because you think in an alternate reality, mm-hmm. Jeff Conway got to sing his song. Jeff Conway's choreography was completely different. In an alternate reality, Jeff Conway didn't get dropped and didn't end up addicted to painkillers. Exactly. And didn't die of addiction. I mean, all signs point to John Travolta. Well, Scientology didn't heal him, now did he, John? Where's the touch thing then, huh? (laughs) Right, right, right. And so so that's really annoying. And um, one last thing that I did learn about the filming of the Grease Lightning number. Apparently, when John Travolta was recording the song, he kept getting uh, heat lap trials, the lyric wrong. And the director, Randall, said that the reason why was because John Travolta was actually really distracted that day because his girlfriend from The Boy in the Plastic Bubble had died a few months prior, and he had read an article about her right before recording that song. Yeah. And Randall is the one who directed Boy in the Plastic Bubble, so he knew them both. Yeah. And apparently John would call Randall in the middle of the night just to talk because he was still really sad about her. And she passed away from cancer, correct? Yeah, she passed away from cancer in his arms.
1: Yeah. That's so crazy. I feel like he's responsible or has been around a lot of death.
0: I don't know if that's necessarily a correlation, but you are right.
1: I'm just going to, yeah, put that out there. I mean, Scientology kills. Okay, I said it.
0: <laughs> but, I mean, as much as people love this number, I hate to break it to you guys. There's a lot of sadness and darkness behind this song and, and this scene.
1: Yeah, and not to mention, there is some, like, I mean, this is probably one of the dirtier songs also. Um, just some of the language. I, I, it, it amazes me that people don't realize what this song is, like, really about. Hmm.
0: I mean, it literally says all the chicks will cry. Come on, guys. It's a real pussy wagon. You know there ain't no shit when you're getting lots of tit. I mean, come on. How do you not know what that's about? I mean, you don't even need
1: subtitles. No, you really don't. And they did try to clean it up. Um, But I mean, this song is just, it's laced, laced with sexual innuendos. Um, And it's actually even dirtier in the 1971 Chicago version. Then, of course, they did try to clean it up. Or the Broadway. Um, And this was kind of the TV edited version that they agreed on. In the 71 version, there's like a a line that refers to using the saran wrap as a condom. And so that's where that image comes from with uh, John Travolta rubbing it on his crotch. And he was warned not to take it too far because, of course, they were trying to keep their
0: rating. But he did did it anyway. anyway. Yeah. I mean, come on. He stole a song. Mm-hmm. Are we surprised? And I remember being a kid and I was like, Why does he have saran wrap? And then I I found out like when I was in high school mm-hmm. and my peers would joke about, Oh, if you don't have a condom, use saran wrap. And I'm like, What? Yeah. <laughs> and then that part where he rubs it on his crotch, it started to make sense. Yep, that's a that's a grease thing. That's a grease thing. Guys, it doesn't yeah. work. Don't do that. Okay. We're not kinda. No. That. Go, go buy the fucking $6 box of condoms. And one thing that I will say, even though John Travolta is eh, and this song really does belong to Jeff Conway, I love the part where you hear the engine rev and John Travolta comes down on the engine in the, yeah. in like, and he's wearing like the super nice T Bird jacket. Like, that is a sweet fucking shot. It is. Pat and Randall did a really good
1: job with that scene.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool to see all the guys like working on the car, flipping and jumping off the car, and the way they pose for that quick second when they're doing their hair. <laughs> There's a lot of fun imagery here. Definitely,
1: definitely. Such a it 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 is a good scene, but when you know the history behind it, then it just it kind of taints it. I mean, at least it does for me.
0: No, I I agree. It's it's kind of. Um... It's it, it, it kind of gives you the same vibe as like watching rewatching Wizard of Oz. It's like, well, that's kind of difficult because when, now we know just the hell that Judy Garland alone went through, let alone the rest of the production. oh
1: god, they tortured her. That's a whole other that's a
0: whole other soundtrack city project. That might be two or three episodes. Okay, let's be honest. That's going to be a series because I don't think I have the energy to that's that's gonna be a big that's gonna be a big harder one okay like y'all are gonna yeah. have to give us some patience for that one yes please it is, it's coming but please bear with us because it's a <laughs> lot it's a lot yes, yes. <laughs> anyway so so they were working on grease lightning and presumably that was uh the following monday at school so i'm taking it this is like the second week of school and they're starting to work on this car right right okay cool um, and then, uh, we get a scene at the diner. Yeah. Okay.
1: Before we, I mean, this not, this is really good for some like moving of our plot. Um, but can we talk about the fact that Rizzo comes out of the bathroom with an ice cream cone? I was going to tell you <laughs> that I think that is so gross. Can we just talk about how unhygienic that is? Because even as a child, I was like, who eats in the restroom? Gross. This is never set right with me, guys. There are some things that I'm like, oh, okay, as an adult, that doesn't sit right. This is not okay. You don't eat in the bathroom. How did you wash your hands, Rizzo?
0: See, the only thing I could think of is she walked in and she put. You know how when you put the cone in your mouth and it's just sticking out like a beak? Yes. That's the only thing I could think of. She walked in. She put it in her mouth. She pulled her pants. She she pulled up her dress. She peed. She never touched the cone, she wiped her ass, and then she washed her hands, and after they were dry, she grabbed her cone.
1: Let's be honest, we know that's not how it went down.
0: (laughs) I mean, of all places that they could have had her enter from. I mean, could she not have been at the jukebox? I mean, somewhere. I mean, she could have been at a table by herself. Like, she could have been, I don't know, interesting decision. This was a poor, poor, you say interesting, I say poor choice.
1: (laughs) Poor choice. Yes.
0: This was not thought out well. No, it, it it kind of makes you think, and it makes you cringe a little when you when you really pay attention. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So this is like I said, it's a good scene moving forward with our plot. We do see Sandy with Dingleberry on parade, mm. um, and they are apparently dating now, sharing ice cream, and um, the T Birds are having a T Bird meeting, um, and Danny, you know, sneakingly walks away after an encounter with Rizzo
0: where we get some interesting lines here. <laughs> yeah, she's like somebody snaking you, Danny? Oh, bite the weenie riz <laughs> with relish. Which means what exactly? Let's talk about that. Okay, so I always kind of thought that it was like <laughs> for snaking you snaking you, I guess that means like sneaking Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that means like
1: someone's kind of like, you know, like when you do that little, um, like, I don't know what that instrument is, but like the harm, not harmonica, like the flute type instrument where the snake kind of like, has you like, um, hypnotized. I'm so sorry. I lost my words, guys, like hypnotized by someone, you know what I mean? hmm so like maybe she's like kind of like a play on words like she's like a snake charmer like why can't you take your eyes off of her like why are you so hypnotized
0: that's how oh, I always hit that line that's... I don't I don't know if that's correct but that's what made sense that to me. makes a lot of sense I never even thought of it that way I don't know I, I knew she was fucking with him but I didn't know what it meant <laughs> and then he's like bite the weenie riz which I can only assume means like suck my dick Right, you know, common
1: language. So basically that's how they said that back in the 50s. Okay? But what does with relish
0: mean? Because to me that is a very dirty line because <laughs> my mind goes to one thing. Well, okay, so one My thing. my take on that was like cuz her and Danny again have this somewhat love-hate playful I like you but I don't at all relationship almost like like kind of like cat and mm-hmm. Joey in 10 things I hate about you. They're just bickering. Yeah. But they have like that Odd chemistry too, and so when he basically tells her like, "Oh, suck my dick, Riz," I think, okay, but he but he says, "bite bite the weenie." So I always took it as she's playfully taking it literally and saying like, "Yeah, add relish
1: mm-hmm. with, on
0: my on my hot dog." <laughs> that's what I because she kind of makes this playful thing. She doesn't she makes a face with her tongue and then she kind of tickles Kaneki's head and walks away like she's being playful. Um, so that's always how I. Took it. What did you think it meant?
1: <laughs> I don't even want to share my take. I like yours. My mind goes to like absolute, like, I don't even know how to say this, like, to be appropriate for a soundtrack. Um, okay, so my mind goes to like maybe it's like one of those like urban dictionary things where it's like the basically like pussy juice residue. What? <laughs> <laughs> This is why I didn't want to say it.
0: No, I'm just like, I never went in that direction when I heard that line. So that's not what I was expecting you to say. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm just like, okay, you're opening a new box today. Let's talk about this. I
1: mean, I just always took it as like a very dirty, like innuendo, because I know that they tried really hard to put in like, all those sexual references without being over the top so they could keep that
0: rating. Right, right. So, like, purposely put in things that people had to question.
1: (laughs) Right, right. And obviously some of us took that questioning really far, a.k.a. me. I see. (laughs) But it does does make sense, um, you know, to be super playful because she does walk away and she is laughing.
0: So, you know. I... Obviously, took that the wrong route. (laughs) Well, I mean, again, it's the language is so different, and it's it's pretty obscure, so I don't think there's really a wrong answer. Like, maybe she was being dirty. They do have a history. We don't know. They do. And I guess that's another thing
1: that led me to
0: think like that, you know? You're right. You're right. It, It would make sense if she was making, like, a sex joke.
1: Right. And then I feel like that's why that line, you know, like, I don't know about these chicks. Because... The fact that you're so okay making a sexual innuendo in front of the new guy you're sleeping with, with your old guy that
0: you slept with,
1: I don't know. That situation was bizarre to me,
0: too. It was very much like a that house thing. Mmm, the passing of the meat. Mmm, yeah. Inside joke. Yeah, sorry, guys. We went on a little... <laughs> <laughs> you guys won't understand, but we do. can Sorry. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> We see
1: Danny sneak away uh, to the jukebox. And, of course, Sandy is there. And we also see Patty being extra, extra desperate. Call me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Danny's like, his whole tone changes, his whole demeanor when he's talking to her. And he's like, you know, I'm sorry. And she's just very coy. Like, she doesn't really care what he has to say at this point.
0: She's not even looking at him, by the way. Nope.
1: No, nope, she doesn't pay any mind to him. She's like, fine, thanks. Like, as if she's asking for a Coke or a piece of toast.
0: Like, he's nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's being very civil. Like, she's, she's being very careful in not letting him see what effect he has on her. Because obviously, we know that she still loves and cares about him. And one thing I do want to mention about this scene, uh, just before this, because she's sitting with Tom eating ice cream, thanks to this scene, my sisters taught me at a very young age what a gold digger was because <laughs> there's a part where she's like, "Do you want some new music, and like for the jukebox?" And he says, "Yeah." and she's she says, "I need some money." Like she says it really insistent." she died. and he gives her like a nickel and she's like thanks and i'm like bitch it was your idea to change the music and then my sisters when i would watch it with them they were like damn sandy's a gold digger i was like what's that right <laughs> so i learned what it was she really is. i yeah
1: what this is a great great example of that and then we see danny who's obviously jealous um question why she's with a jock uh she questions like what has he done you know um, and he's like, I can run circles around those jerks. And she's like, yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. And then the next immediate scene, we see him trying out for the sports, the athletics.
0: Yep. Yep. And right before that scene ends, the song that Sandy ends up choosing on the jukebox is actually It's Raining on Prom Night, which is mm-hmm. Sandy's solo song from the stage play.
1: Yes. Because in the stage play, she did not actually go to the dance, guys.
0: No. And
1: it was no, raining on <laughs> Yep, Danny went with uh, Cha Cha and there was no hand drive.
0: No, sad face. Um, but yeah. I thought that was really cool because I, I like how, um, even though, yes, the movie made a lot of changes to the stage script when translating onto screen, but. Mm-hmm. They did a good job of incorporating a lot of the songs that they didn't use for a character by playing them in the background. It's kind of like a love letter to the original play. I agree. Yeah, I really like that they did that. Um, And
1: I really hope that Jim uh, was happy with that. Because I know he, like we've stated before,
0: he wasn't happy with all the changes and all the liberties that were made. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, who could blame him? Because it's it's his work. It's a, Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, we see Danny trying out. We, we see Coach Calhoun, and he gave that <laughs> great speech at the pep rally. And uh, so Danny is enlisting in his help so that he can get into athletics and impress Sandy. And Calhoun is like, oh, what, what kind of athletics are you interested in? Do you like the rings? And Danny says, yeah, I installed a set of rings just a couple weeks ago. What does that mean? <laughs> is that a car thing? I think so. I believe it has to
1: do with the carburetor, but I could be completely wrong. Don't DM us if we're wrong, guys. I, I'm not pretending to be a car expert here at all, guys. Okay. And especially cars from the 50s who they weren't. I, that's what I always thought was funny, too, about the automatic. Like, cars were not automatic back then. Mm-mm, they were sick. Yeah. So that was a very interesting. I mean, they didn't even have the um, automatic turning. I mean, talk about like a workout. I don't know if you guys have ever turned a car that doesn't have automatic steering. Mine went out on my suburban. Ooh. Worst, worst experience of my life.
0: Okay, Frankie got a workout that day, guys. I sure did. Like it's like,
1: ur, 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 like everything that you can imagine trying to turn the damn wheel.
0: And you know, looking. Out. <laughs> and I love a classic car. I will stop and gawk at a classic car when they mm. drive by, but I cannot imagine like all the maintenance that goes into keeping them running. Right. Ooh, I, I dated a guy once who had a 1962 Ford Falcon. Mm. Mm. And he, he, I mean, he complained about it a lot more than he drove it. Yeah, because it's it's so, it really is a lot, guys. Like it is a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I would love to own one one day, but it's I would have to win the lottery, publish a few books, sell some more games, <laughs> maybe to afford half of one. Half of one,
1: right? I mean, they're a lot. They're a lot of upkeep, and they're just there are things that you have to invest in because you can turn the
0: transmission to an automatic one now but it's a lot of work and it's, it is a lot of money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if, if that's the kind of project you're into then that's a beautiful thing so uh.
1: it really is
0: and i'm jealous so we do see danny try various sports he tries basketball and he he's <laughs> Punches someone in the stomach. Yeah, he's he's very um, aggressive, I guess, and uh, he he has a habit of instigating a bit, and the team doesn't really like him because he doesn't dribble. <laughs> he's spirited oh my gosh and then calhoun's like okay well let's try wrestling and then he he wrestles this guy who's like big and he loses twice his reaction though at first is hilarious when they first show him like who he's gonna be fighting, he's like are you kidding me oh my god it's so but that is a great face that he makes he's like are you great and he backs up so he's not having any of it at all hilarious (laughs) And then perhaps, I think this is my my favorite Danny part, is he tries baseball. And mm-hmm. he's so cute in his baseball tee. I think this is probably my favorite as well because it's
1: just, it's such a good scene. And I love that he takes the face mask <laughs> and, and snaps mask. it. The fact that he snaps it to his face, like Misa said, like, I, that has to be painful. It has to
0: be. <laughs> And you hear it. You hear like a... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is and then he starts coming at him with the bat and Calhoun's like put the bat down. Put the bat down. <laughs> it is so great. I love cuz cuz Danny finally hits the ball and he's so proud and he's smiling. He's watching it in the sky. Foul ball. And then it pisses him off and he goes after the umpire.
1: <laughs> he's like who the f- It's are great. You?
0: It's it's a good scene. It's a good scene. <laughs> Danny has some really funny moments. He does. And then finally, Coach is like, you know what? Let's do something that's all by Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) ourselves.
1: No contact at all. No contact, no teammates, no nothing. And he's like running. He's like, what do you feel about track? He's like, you mean like running? He's like, not not just running, something with
0: endurance. Long distance running. (laughs) Like the way he sells it. I love it. Sure enough, next scene. Danny's in sweats, running the track. And of course, who is watching? But Sandy, Sandy's off on
1: the sideline. And as soon as he sees Sandy, this like encourages him to run even faster. And the idiot that he is jumping over hurdles ends up falling and Sandy runs out to him. And he acts like he's fine. Um, and then she's like, you know, the least you can do is talk to me after what you did to me. And this part always made me mad. Because he's like, I said I was sorry. And she's like, huh, I got you talking to me. I'm like, y'all are stupid. That's lame. Sorry. I don't like that to me. <laughs> that, that one part always, like, really irked me. Like, really? That's the best we could come up with, but whatever. And then he's like, so you got to date the dance? And she's like, well, it depends. And, like, on what? And he's like, if you ask me or not. And then they both kind of have a moment where they laugh. Because, of course, you know, I actually realized I don't really know his, what's his real name? I always call him Dingleberry because that's what they refer to him. (laughs)
0: Um, The actor's name is Lorenzo Lamas, but his character is Tom Chisholm. There we go. Chisholm, Chisholm. Thank you. Uh, Chisholm, like, looks like he
1: has no idea what's going on as Danny and Sandy wave to him. And then they are
0: obviously now going to the dance together, a.k.a. dating-ish. Which I always kind of thought, like. Damn, Sandy, that's kind of shitty. You didn't even break up with Tom. You just like ditched him one day and didn't say anything. Exactly. But uh, hey, him, her and Danny deserve each other. So, they... yeah, we're going to treat you like that. Mm.